and welcome to the Back Page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts. I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. Matthew, what have you been playing lately of the 19 different games that released in June and uh, and May? What has uh, what have you been rotating back to of late? I've actually been playing a Master Detective Archives Rain Code, the Danganronpa follow-up mm. uh, for review. But I'm now desperately thinking, when is the embargo for that? Uh, <laughs> it may be today, so I can't probably. I probably just to be safe, won't say what I think of it. Right, we'll circle back round to that. But I have been playing that. Obviously, I was, yeah, very interested to see how that worked out. You know, being a big Dangan romper head, um, in the parlance of this podcast. Uh, but yeah, basically juggling that and uh, still chipping away at Final Fantasy sixteen. Nice chunky chunky game that with old Clive I've actually um, I'm finally starting to like chip away at that a little bit but um, what what we're going to do next month for listeners benefit because we know there's been so much out lately and so much coming out is that we're going to do two what we've been playing pods next month so I think we're going to try and tick off the likes of the Ghost Trick remaster that's come along and Trepang 2 and Street Fighter and Diablo 4 FF16 there's so much it feels like this is the month to do that so yeah yeah, plus it's a hot July, and I'm trying to avoid three-hour pods in hot July, basically. Yeah. <laughs> My exciting Final Fantasy 16 adjacent news is that oh, yeah. I'm uh, I'm now best friends with voice actor Ben Starr, a.k.a. <laughs> Clive. No, yep, I saw I saw a picture of him at the oven um, in Bath, uh, my, the best pizza restaurant in Bath, if you ask me. I wonder if he was having the creamed walnuts and fig jam. <laughs> I bet no one at that table recommended it to him because you're all philistines at PlayStation <laughs> Access, that's what I think. We're not really best friends, but, you know, he's, he's following me now on, on Twitter, so kind of so, a big deal. So it's only a matter of time before he comes on this podcast, you think? Basically... I, the thing is, he's amazing at podcasts. Like he's a he's a really good podcast guest. No, he already did the uh, Lucy James podcast, and I was like, "Damn, beat into the punch, Matthew." But, oh, uh, he, that was no, he's just like he's the real deal. Like he's really into games. Like there's some people you're like they're into games and they've got casu- quite a casual relationship, but he's like like nerdily into games. You know, he was talking. I I, I heard him t- over uh, talking uh, to Rob about his who was in his Blitzball team. And I was like, the only other person I've ever heard talk about this was you. And <laughs> the fact that he he was like, oh, you know, got a classic bit of brother in my team. And I was like, I know what that reference is, because that's what <laughs> Sam said. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm so impressed by that. Um, we have to get him on and do the Blitzball pod. That's got to be, that's a must, frankly. Uh, wait till he finds that out that I'm the one other person who likes Blitzball. Like, it's like we were meant to be pals. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, so that was exciting. That was that was nice. Yeah, it's just, it's very funny that this person is sort of entered entered into my orbit a little bit um, right right and playing the game and you're like well it's kind of odd that you sort of semi know this person or you can put the face to the voice anyway and it is it is a great he is great in it clive is good and i'm not just saying that because we're best friends on twitter now i i legitimately think like the voice acting in that game is one of its major strengths yeah yeah um, that's good. I mean, I know you're kissing his ass, and, uh, despite what you say. But uh, I'm not, no, I'm, I'm not. Joking, I'm, I'm, not joking. That's a th- I'm genuinely not. <laughs> no, it you is good. Me. It like, is I good. Would, I would, I would, you know, I can be straight with my best friends. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm, I... <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I'm only, I'm only kidding. The voice acting is very, very good in that game. The Square Enix's localization is always good. They are just absolute masters at doing that. And mm. if you think about what an operation it is to 
release a game simultaneously worldwide like that and have all the lip syncing done and stuff like that that's a fucking gigantic bit of work that they do Mm. sorry this stuff is now slightly more interesting to me than it used to be because i work in games publishing and i I just realized how how much work things take so i'm like wow the amount of spreadsheets they must have needed to do this that's the kind of um nonsense that my brain tunes into now is sad sad decline of samuel roberts basically well you Um, need to find, find the person who does those spreadsheets and befriend them on twitter so we've all got best friends on the Final well, Fantasy team. Well, I did tell you that the um, that once I interviewed James Arnold Taylor, voice of Tidus in Final Fantasy X, and told him I played 400 hours of the game, and he went, God bless you, like that, he said. Um, he should have done the laugh. He should have laughed in your face, a la that laugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, nice like, to meet you. Really, and then you're like, oh shit, that is how he laughs, genuinely in real life. That was completely <laughs> sincere. Yeah. And I was interviewing him for the Clone Wars cartoon, which uh, to me was just like so not a big deal. And then I sort of realized about a couple of years later that, oh no, people absolutely love this thing that I just don't really understand. Right. And he's just, you know, but then I'm not really interested in him, go- in him going, Obi Wan Kenobi, which is what he does in every episode. But I was, for him <laughs> doing the fucking Tina's voice, I'm all over it, man. It just, you know that's that's my kind of shit so uh, yeah i also i wouldn't mind being pals with ray chase who voiced noctis in ff15 he's got a good voice he did um the audiobook for jason schreier's uh uh novels novels (laughs) sorry uh books about game development so uh that was good. It was like, yeah, it was like finding audio tapes in Final Fantasy 15 where the king of insomnia or whatever is telling you about the time that Kingdoms of Amalur went south. Okay, bit of a ramble there. Uh, yeah. yeah, I have to ask you very quickly, just because we put out the Indiana Jones Patreon pod, I know that you've seen Indiana Jones. Yeah. I don't want to push us down a huge Indiana Jones detour, but just give us the bottom line here. Yeah, so you know how on that podcast I said that it was a bit ageist to be saying Harrison Ford's not up to it or whatever. Yeah. I will say that it's an old-ass man in that film. Oh, really? <laughs> He's very, very... I mean, he is frail, but I think what helps is that they they use Phoebe Waller-Bridge for a lot of the set pieces, so he's kind of like... He's sort of tagging along, but he's not necessarily the guy who's sort of like beating the shit out of ten dudes or whatever. Right. Um. It's it, To be honest, it was not disappointing just it wasn't quite as good as i hoped it would be it's like it's better than crystal skull i think it's a bit more the beats of it and the characterization of india are a bit more in line with the first three um the opening despite being too long is pretty close i think to being a great indiana jones opening oh okay yeah it gets in the ballpark but it's way too long it's got probably one too many excursions to a place where they go go with some some torches in a tomb or whatever and find out a thing about a MacGuffin. bit too slow on that front didn't mind if he'd be well a bridge Maz Mickelson doing his Maz Mickelson thing where it's like you know continually playing bad guys despite well, the fact well, that, he well, that could be rules. many different things another Mad Mickelson thing is that doing that cool dance where he's drunk a load of lager at the end of that film <laughs> yeah there's none of that in this one it's not oh, like he's boo. like it's not like he's like to the Fuhrer because he's playing a Nazi and then he's just drinking that down I need to stay away from like Nazi joke content Matthew after this <laughs> after Swazi's gate in the last podcast so um so yeah sorry you wanted to ask where does it go in the rankings right in the power rankings yeah 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 i put it in c yeah i put it in c it's like a solid c it's like a three-star film it's 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 like better than most of the blockbusters i've seen lately um i was sadly not really an across the spider-verse guy it didn't do much for me that one did did you like that one Uh, no i i'm going to see we're going to mop up some films over the next few days basically that's the plan yeah that makes sense but i thought it was better than guardians 3 for example oh okay 
I mean, even Guardians 3, I thought, was the best MCU film in a while. Yeah, that is I to say, that. a three-star oh, film. That's, that's given <laughs> me some hope. I was yeah, going to do this great segue. Right. I was going to say, from a solid sea to solid snake. Oh, fuck, that would have been great. And then I just stepped on it. Sorry about that. But then, but then we started talking about something else. I just want people to know that I did have that thought. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that I'm capable so, of that kind of pod construction. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, from a solid sea to a solid snake, uh, Matthew, this episode we're talking about... <laughs> I don't really know what the first nine minutes of this podcast are. I can't believe we're nine minutes in. We've <laughs> just been talking absolute shit. Oh, I've been, I've, uh, I've this is day, just man. the way with pods now. I think so. And also, we don't do it that obnoxiously. We, it's just one little bit at the start. It's not like two hours okay. of baseball, then one hour on, I don't know, Kane and Lynch 2. Yeah, this could have been nine minutes of us moaning about that person who didn't like our logo. And we didn't do that. And we're not going to oh, no. do that. <laughs> Oh, no, I don't mind that. I didn't mind that too much because I'm not as married to the logo as, as you, I don't think. I'm like, the logo's fine, but it's, you know, it does its job, and that's all it needs to do, really. Um, <laughs> for the listeners' context, one guy very politely suggested that our logo maybe could be replaced with a better one, and uh, it became, um, I, you know, you know what it's like when we receive a tiny bit of criticism, we blur out <laughs> proportion? Just that, basically. Like, you've heard it over and over again on this podcast, so that happened. But, um... I think we ultimately came to the conclusion that there is some affection for the logo, but ultimately the content of the podcast is what matters. Uh, nice yeah. little resolution there. Nice little three-act structure to that um, to that story. <laughs> so all good. Um, so yes, Matthew, a bit of nonsense goes a long way. So this podcast then. Metal Gear Solid 3, Snake Eater. We've been replaying it for this episode. Why? Because they're remaking it. Konami announced at the PlayStation conference, slash whatever you call it now, back in, um, back in May showcase, oh. that... That, that this existed it was quite a brief odd cg teaser of lots of animals that seemed slightly out of proportion with their size in real life to me having a big old thrashing fight in a pond and then um, you saw snake at the end and it was the first metal gear anything that's happened um outside of like licensing sort of gubbins like board games and stuff since metal gear survive which is obviously a controversial spin-off that nonetheless uh earned some affection from rich stanton sometime guest of this show so matthew with that in mind it feels like the right time to replay metal gear solid 3 what do you think yeah absolutely I and mean, it's one of our one of our on-running kind of game obsessions on this pod this seems like a good time to do it i mean we could have done it when the the new version comes out but you know, let's get let's get ahead of it. Why not? Why not talk about it now? Yeah, why not? Yeah, I wanted a little bit of distance with it when it actually rolls along as well because I wanted to sort of like not burn myself out at MGS three, then play MGS three again, basically. Right. So I think um, that's why now I thought was a good time. But uh, it's, yeah. it's unusual that they're putting out another version of MGS three before that version of MGS three in the Master Collection. Right. Yeah, that was the other thing they announced. Of course, the MGS Master Collection, which has one, two, and three, is coming to modern platforms including switch and uh, metal gear solid 3 is coming to pc for the first time apparently without mouse and keyboard supports uh, i read that as a rumor i'm not sure if that's true but um because it was a lot of this was discussed during the nintendo showcase it was hard to gauge how high end the port job is on these and i think that's kind of the big question with that is it's yes it's nice to have it on modern formats and something is better than nothing definitely but um what shape they'll be in is interesting yeah. because Metal Gear Solid 3, Matthew, we both own the version that's on 360 that's backwards compatible, and that version is fucking mint on Series X. I don't know if you agree with that. I, th- I think it's that version, isn't it? Like, I, it, get it. I think it's the HD edition versions of 2 and 3. 
it is, yeah. But I, I guess I just want to see it in action before I'm like, yeah, oh sure. yeah, here we go. Just because I, you know, I, I've got it on my Xbox right here. The definitive versions of these games already exist, and I have them, you know. So yeah, yeah. It's it's whether they're they're comparable on other platforms, I suppose. But yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah. It's it's cool that people will have another chance to talk about it, and also that it sort of puts Metal Gear back into the public consciousness generally, which feels like there's some larger push going on with Konami there. Who knows if it just ends at a Metal Gear Solid 3 remake and probably a second volume of the Master Collection, which brings uh, Shudder, uh, Metal Gear Solid 4, to modern platforms. The listeners know how I feel about that, Matthew. Um, <laughs> I feel like the day that happens, I'm going to get fucking 19 different like mentions on uh, Twitter straight away. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What do you think of that as, a, as an idea? Yeah, I mean, it's it's nice to be associated with something, you know, <laughs> like when your personal brand is so clear cut that people can make those links. That's always cool. Um, yeah, but it, it, it mustn't it mustn't leave. It just, yeah, it's it's where it belongs forever. Um, it's proper like don't open Ark of the Covenant stuff. Um, all our faces will melt. The idea of that game being in a collection with like maybe all the like PSP or handheld ones is kind of is sounds kind of like a rough deal to me. Uh, that's gonna be quite <laughs> jarring to go from like the you know one of the more high end ones. I guess it would have five and Grand Zeros too, right? Yeah, I guess I guess so. That is a weird collection though, isn't it? With yeah. Peace Walker plumped plumped in the middle there. But there's also the question of whether they'll do any other extras with it because they've got um, the original uh, Metal Gears coming with that master collection, including Snake's Revenge, which I think is the one that was off-brand not made by kojima so right pretty comprehensive like the question it begs the question matthew you know actually first of all how big is how many discs are they going to need for like metal gear solid 4 which needed a blu-ray at the time because it was gigantic and metal gear solid 5 and ground zeros as well as like a bunch of extra stuff so yeah the idea of like heaven forbid metal gear solid 4 on a switch cartridge Oh, that's so wrong. That's so incorrect. <laughs> so fundamentally immoral. You know what I mean? Like it's Yeah. It's not it's not right, man. There's like a joke there's a joke about Blu-ray discs in there. There's a joke about the six axis controller and the the dual the dual shock three. Like it's I just yeah, it was those two things are symbiotic. They just dub it over so he's like, Tell me about these Joy Cons. <laughs> Yeah, really badly sort of dubbed over by clearly oh, different David, voice actor. how David Hater stands now, which is probably a bit different. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm actually interested to talk about him in this podcast. So, yeah, Matthew, so we've got all that to come. I'm also hoping that they, um, they won't do this, right? But it'd be cool if they excavated Portable Ops, which is kind of considered a non-canon Metal Gear now, right. but mechanically is a precursor to um, both uh, Peace Walker and Five. And also the Acid games, which again right. have not been ported to any other platform. But those on a Nintendo Switch, that's really appealing because the second one in particular, really nice looking game, card based, turn based game. Absolutely a modern game type that would um, feel fresh in the hands. So, is that, do you think it would be good to see all of that in one collection? How likely do you think that is? I mean, that, that sounds unlikely, but I don't right. know. This is quite a generous collection. You know, one, two, and three, and the retro one so it's not it's not too shabby yeah I, I mean, i'd be up for it i i don't have any experience of those games myself so i'm i'm definitely up for trying them um i'm just surprised that like they haven't put a bit more effort into maybe grouping things like narratively maybe right you know it feels like you might put together the the big boss games and the modern trilogy might be a cleaner split but you know yeah 
I genuinely think that they just thought people won't understand if this is like three and two other games then one two and four that would just be too confusing to people i wonder if that's why they did it that way just because it would break the brains of the general public yeah um this sometimes happens with comic book collections where they'll be like it'll be like spawn issues one to five and seven and then you look up where six went and it's like some fucking underground artist drew a really weird crossover issue and it's no longer in print or something like that that happens a lot in comic books it's really annoying so maybe they just thought completionist sake one two three four five you know assorted ephemera but uh yeah yeah interesting times to see this stuff recirculated mm. for sure and mel gets sort of four on a switch that's like we've crossed the rubicon there there's no coming back for mankind after that i gotta say that's like <laughs> an, an unholy act um good for game preservation though just as an nb at the end there <laughs> so Matthew, Metal Gear Solid 3 then. The uh, Just the, for clarity as well, the remake is called Delta. Is that right, Metal Gear yeah, that's Solid right. Delta? Yep, so that's coming along. But um, Matthew, what is your memory, of your first memory of playing Metal Gear Solid 3? Uh, I was at university. I didn't own a PlayStation, but someone in my student house had a PlayStation 2. And I rented it from Blockbuster and absolutely caned it over the 48 hours that I had it. And it's not really a game designed to be taken like that so I remember taking it kind of quite a clip and as a result it's a game that I didn't necessarily appreciate or understand first time round and I've kind of grown into it more over the years or my appreciation of it of its grown and bringing a lot of the wider knowledge of the weird easter eggs and the, just the, the amount of weirdness in this game it's like a very dense game it's full of kojima bullshit which often takes a few years to kind of like fully emerge so like that you know a race racing through the story that first weekend is like not really what this game's about so a bit of a a bit of a messy experience also remember the original version has that absolutely god-awful camera <laughs> uh, where it's based when it's like the traditional camera it's, it's kind of like top down and this is like quite an organic environment it's not really built around neat right angles that that top down or that traditional camera view supports so that's that's quite rough that's quite a lot of like trying to shoot stuff off screen and think about stuff that's off screen and like when you play it with the the newer camera the th- the full 3d camera you're like what how did, how is this ever perceived as <laughs> anything other than this yeah it's funny because when Subsistence came along, which I think was 06, maybe 07, around that time, they bundled in, obviously, a Metal Gear Online, which, by the way, I looked up a screenshot of that. It was the most bonkers fucking screenshot. The player character was that <laughs> Ivan Rykov guy with the Raiden hair, and then Ocelot just shooting him in the background, and then, like, four other dudes on screen. It looked like absolute <laughs> carnage, and I was like, I really wish I'd experienced this so I could have some stories to tell from the front lines of ps2 metal gear online right um yeah so immensely <laughs> enjoyed that but yeah it, it meant actually for me because I, I didn't come i mean i think this was this was almost straight away subsistence became quite pricey to get hold of it wasn't an easy thing to find in europe right. so you'd end up spending upwards of like 40 quid to get hold of it was my recollection so i didn't see this new camera until those hd editions came along and i think 2011 or that was like a really you know i always knew it existed this fabled new camera but i had to wait for it like you and i mm. agree with you the other thing is that Gear solid 2 
I believe was one of the only PS2 games that ran at 60 frames per second. And you can tell that from how slick, slickly everyone's moving in that game. And then three was um, 30 FPS because they, I think like the jungle and like the increased level of simulation and that sort of thing meant they just needed to drop the frame rate a little bit to prioritize detail is my understanding. Right. So, And so it means that there's like a, a slight, like just of moving through sludge aspect to selecting that first person camera from that third person view and just being like why is there nothing in between with yeah. that original camera which i think you can access that original camera by clicking one of the sticks in the hd right. collection so it's still there but yeah but weirdly though matthew i don't know about you but it didn't bother me that much at the time because i think i'd whack the difficulty down too easy and just made and just kind of treated it as more of a narrative experience yeah i mean it was what it was as you know like you didn't question it but you weren't like oh i wish it had this other thing because like, it was just more in line with the other metal gear games you were like well of course it's going to control like this it's only in hindsight that it seems really egregious yeah uh, that that is true exactly so i think that well kojima productions are obviously aware of it enough to bother re-releasing it with uh, with that new camera as well as a bunch of extras, it was yeah, it wasn't that big a factor for me. Yeah, it's it's interesting because my my first experience with Metal Gear Solid Three was that I uh, had a couple of years where I wasn't paying as much attention to games, and there was this dude in my in one of my sixth form classes, a very dark time for Samuel Roberts, where he. <laughs> He like, sort of like gleamed onto the fact that I was a big Metal Gear and Final Fantasy guy, and he would talk to me about those constantly. And then he borrowed Final Fantasy VIII from me for a whole year. I lent it to him in September and got it back from him in July, just before I left that sick form. And that was like that was one of my last proper lending out experiences oh with my someone. God, he killed generosity in you. <laughs> Famously, I am yeah I'm the least generous man ever. Oh, no, I'm, I'm fine. But... I'm joking. I'm joking. No, but letting people hold your stuff captive for like years at a time, there's just some. It's never good, is it, when that happens? And then you become the guy who has to chase them, and they're like, "Yeah, I'll bring it back." And then they think, "Oh, why are you getting so arsy about me bringing this thing back?" And that's like, "Ah, oh, I just wish none of this had ever happened." Uh, yeah. So, um, such as it is. But this guy, this guy actually like is quite an interesting, dude. He. I didn't really have time for him at the time because I was just at an age where I just couldn't be doing with any of the people I was going to school with. And mm. he, but he was trying to engage with me on Metal Gear. He later like joined the military and like went, went to Afghanistan and stuff. It was like quite intense. But he was it, saying it, to it me, became like a, a sort of a Cobra unit style <laughs> Bizarro soldier. Like he joined the unit and had like I don't know a load of fucking snakes up his trousers or something <laughs> yeah i think uh, the reality of uh, war is much more harrowing than that sadly it doesn't leave you with many kind of like novelty factors to distinguish you as a kind of character it's more just like the ptsd i wonder if anyone does rock up at uh you know <laughs> where you sign up to the army and you're like uh i think the, the career i'd like to pursue is to become one of those like crazy Cobra unit soldiers governed by like one pure emotion of the battlefield. <laughs> that is like, oh shit. What would your emotion be? Uh, avarice, and then I'd just steal their trousers each time I kill them. That's like, uh, that's pretty eccentric, but actually, it's maybe a bit too homoerotic that one for uh, <laughs> what, actually, just perfect. On for every, you, do you have to put on each pair of trousers over your last pair? Yes, exactly. When I run out of room, I have to start putting them on my arms as well. And it's just like absolute chaos. And actually, but, uh... the key to beating you is to deliberately lose so that you put on so many pairs of trousers that you, it just becomes unworkable. You can't walk around and then we just walk <laughs> up and shoot you in the head. Or the Kojima-style um, twist version of doing that is you wear a pair of shorts and I don't know what the fuck to do, then I just explode. And that's what... <laughs> 
much like uh, you know aging the end to death in Metal Gear Solid Three. Just like that's the trick way to do it. So yeah, what about you? What would yours be? Uh, it'd probably be something to do with eating. Um, right? But, would you just uh, eat like the arm of your your victims or something? Like what's? Yeah, I'd be the greed. <laughs> Right, but that's creep. a bit like Fat Man from Metal Gear Solid Two. He still <laughs> exists anyway. I imagine the Fat Man being quite irritated with you, like infringing on his brand. It's like, hey, buddy, like well, I'm, like, I'm the guy who drinks wine. Like, don't start munching on people's arms and trying to steal my personal brand. The thing is, though, food and feeding and dropping food is like a very key baked-in mechanic for Metal Gear Solid Three. So, a boss that was more elaborately about feeding them you know like a particular combination of things to give me heartburn you have to give me like very fatty meats to right. give me terrible heartburn that's how you get me i mean it's a little bit too much like the fear in that regard um but <laughs> yeah. i'm like, yeah. like the fear is jumping around on trees and like i ain't doing that you've seen me like i'm sitting in a deck chair <laughs> like just in the middle of a forest you're not you're not that bad you always make yourself sound like it's like brendan fraser and the whale or something it's I mean, like that's not that is not your life you know you're just like you're just a, a large gentleman like i'm a large gentleman it's fine you know what i mean people aren't like looking at you when you're yeah, but, on the street. Uh, i'm not getting up any tree like well no accept it i accept that yeah um <laughs> the, the, the other thing is that if you if you killed me that the avarice in uh in metal gear solid 3 snake would like get 50 new sort of camo options but it's just the same pair of trousers 50 <laughs> times where he's like and had to, to scroll, like take them off you have to scroll through them constantly <laughs> you're like oh why did i fucking kill that optional member of the code <laughs> that gives me 50 pairs of the same trousers this is such a nightmare um my yeah. stat my what would definitely be true is my stamina bar would be so short like my natural stamina bar <laughs> would be like the shortest one in the game that'd be like a little joke for them yeah he could just kill you by making you jog like he just sort of shoots at you twice and then you go for a jog and then it's like drained down to one bar and you're like sweating it see we are back in brendan fraser the whale territory here. <laughs> yeah sorry that's not the Great. case nor nor is a condition in that film uh meant to be laughed at no, so no. Uh, just making that very clear for our list right then what the fuck were we talking about let me just find my guide our okay, early yeah, memories of playing it. Oh yeah, yeah. So, so basically, after that ten minute aside, this guy uh, encouraged me to play it, and I was like, ah, oh, kind of out on it. And the reason was because I I was a huge fan of Metal Gear Solid and and two, and they had a continuous story, and the end of two had a twist that I knew that they would eventually have to pay off in a in a in a new game, and I knew it wasn't going to be this game. Because they were like, it's the origin story of a guy you've literally never fucking met because you're you're living the West and you're playing Metal Gear Solid and didn't get Metal Gear. So why would I care about this? That was actually how I felt about it. I was right. like, an origin story for a dude you never meet in either of the two Metal Gear Solid games I've played. So it didn't seem that enticing to me, honestly, just on that sort of story-based level. I do remember very vividly what the... Um, the sort of early conceptual trailers they put out for it though where there's a must have been e3 2002 or 2003 but there's a sequence where there's a dude on a motorcycle and it seems like snake's gonna hijack the bike but then the dude on the bike goes this is no vice city and then like drives off it's kind of a weird little exchange one of those <laughs> kojimari jokey kind of trailers but also there is something oddly welcome to the rules of the jungle nothing quite applies here element to like their right, promotional right. trailers for this like they they did a good job of making it seem like it was going to be an open world jungle kind of game and then 
when you play it, it's these more diorama type um, little chunks of levels um, yeah. in the jungle, uh, which I personally prefer. We can talk about that in a minute. But um, so it meant I didn't have loads of anticipation for it because I just wanted to know how the fuck did the Patriots die a hundred years ago? Spoiler alert: it's some bullshit about AI. Who even fucking knows? Metal Gear Solid Four is a mess, man. But um, that's fine because I did eventually um, sort of take a plunge on it because I when they started promoing Metal Gear Solid Four and you were seeing all of these um, videos of old Snake on the battlefield, I thought that is the coolest shit I have ever seen. Snake fighting the fucking cow robots. That is so cool. I have to just plunge (laughs) my head back into Metal Gear. So I went and picked this up, and then absolutely loved it, because the thing that this game... This game, like is like an answer to Metal Gear Solid 2. I can't remember how much of this we covered on our XL pod with Rich on the best Metal Gear moments, but 2 is the unwieldy game with endless cutscenes and, you know, you know, an thematically interesting but quite baffling finale to that game. Uh-huh. It's very obnoxious in, in all of the ways it, you know, the sort of Kojima touches are in there. Whereas 3 has a bit of that, particularly at the start. It has a lot of, like, fucking Khrushchev talking to LBJ, and you're like, <laughs> I just, this is going on for a long time, and LBJ is voiced by Sully from Uncharted, so it's slightly distracting. Um, but then, it it enters this mode of re- when you start getting to the Cobra units, where it's so, like, lean for what this era of Metal Gear yeah. ended up being. And that, I think, just allows its story to land in a way that the, the story simply doesn't in Metal Gear Solid one two and four maybe it does a little bit more in one actually but certainly in two and four where it's just the cutscenes are so long there's just so much fluff in there this is like a coherent story told well and that was the thing that really captured my imagination Matthew Mm. yeah no yeah I I completely get that I mean the the amazing thing about this is actually if you it's it's how much of the, the the nonsense that there is you can opt out of it by just not using the codec you know, yeah. there's there's like tens of hours of Kojima silliness here if you want it. But if you don't have it, you know, the actual core cutscenes outside of like the very long one at the start and the very long one at the end, yeah, it's 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 pretty fast moving and it keeps a lot of the cast in play as well, which I really like about it. You know, like there's just a lot more faces appearing from start to finish and you build more of a relationship with them. It, it, it has more of the shape of a traditional film than any of his other games. Yeah, it's it's like yeah, I think lean, like you say, is the perfect word. Yeah, it made me wonder if that maybe maybe Kojima felt boxed in by his own lore a little bit, um, with one and two and what they'd built up, and maybe he wanted to snap out of that a little bit, and mm. three three allowed him to redraw the canvas again. I should like there's way too much lionizing of Kojima that goes on, and not his collaborators when discussing his games. I completely acknowledge that, but yeah. certainly you can at least attribute the storytelling aspects of Metal Gear to him. That is obviously his sensibility is coming through so on that level it's accurate but obviously you know we know many other people make these games so yeah um it's interesting i've got lots i've got lots more to say about how i felt about metal gear solid 3 this time but i was curious matthew when did you last revisit this game before this i can't remember the last time i played all the way through it um i have been playing it like i had to play it for some work this year which coincided with us deciding to do this episode. So actually, I, I don't know if that really counts. Maybe I'm hijacking the last time I played it for that. But um, yeah, I, I definitely on like in a backwards compat form. So it's got to be in the last five years or something. Got you. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it for me, it's a regular play. I, I probably I've probably played this every five years. Oh, okay. Um, well, yeah. So. 
I remember like playing through the, the PS Vita version of it at one point. That's a, a really lovely little port that is on PS Vita mm. for two and three. Um, played that at some point. Uh, what else? I think that yeah, like I I definitely when I was at Imagine played through it at least two or three times. It might actually have been more than five years since I last played through it in full though. So definitely like some of it felt fresh, which was which was nice. Um, does the idea of a remake for this game make you excited, Matthew? Yeah, I mean, all of this is couched in a slight kind of mystery of we don't really know what Delta is, like how substantial a remake it is. Um, All evidence points to it being a very loyal remake with just like a big visual layer over the top of it, based on the fact they've put out some screens which are, you know, exactly the, you know, very recognisable locations. They are exactly the same as they were in the original game, but just visually like a much, much denser. So I don't know if, if that puts it more in line with like maybe like a The Last of Us Part 1, kind of like of a complete visual do-over, rather than say a Resident Evil 4, which is like the same shape, but, but reimagined more dramatically. I don't think it's going to be that. So th- that, but that aside, you know, what excites me on a very basic level, even about just a visual makeover, is that this game has so much iconic stuff in it, so many iconic set pieces, that just seeing them in any kind of new light is exciting. Like, you, the anticipation of ticking off those things, which is kind of how I felt about Resident Evil 4 as well. Like, going into it, it's like, I want to see this, 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 and this. Here, that's a similar vibe. And just seeing those things look slightly nicer, or just seeing some of these cutscenes, and I, the whole thing, really. I mean, this, this game is like crazy for memorable moments like how many there are and how packed together it is and i'd kind of forgotten that about it in a way um so even with it like fresh in the mind yeah just the the opportunity to see all those slightly different like i'm not even asking for a big mechanical do-over obviously the more ambitious the remake is like great I'm, i'm i'm all in on that but even on that basic level i'm I don't know, I'm kind of feeling a bit more excited about it now, having replayed it. Yeah, the funny thing is, I think that replaying it really underlines how doable a remake is. It's not so much level real estate that it feels overwhelming for a modern developer team to up-res it in, you know, shiny 2023 20, mm. visuals. It feels very doable in terms of its scale, even more so than Resi 4 was, I say. I mean, I, I guess, like, it's proven out by the fact that Resi 4 Remake did not do every single bit of that game, right? So even they cut some tiny corners to make mm. that still excellent experience. Imagine with this, they're like, we're doing the whole thing except the end. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh. we're just gonna we're just gonna double up on the fear boss fight. So you'll just fight him twice in the in that other forest, and that's all you'll do. You'll be like, oh man, worst a worst remake ever. Yeah. So the this um this also made me think actually replaying it. There are some obvious opportunities where they can significantly improve it. So the third person camera, as much of an upgrade as it was on what was in the original version of Snake Eater, the one they added with subsistence. There's definitely room for an over-the-shoulder camera, I would say, and some kind of over-the-shoulder aiming that could go on to um, to improve that experience that might arguably make it too easy. And you could argue that some of the ways in which the quirks of MGS3's controls were built around the, uh, you know, the the limitations of, of, I guess, shaped what you were doing in the game in terms of mm. enemy numbers, that sort of thing. But... Yeah, it, it sort of um, definitely feels like something they can they can sort of knock it out of the park. Uh, you know, when it comes to the visual uh, visual side of things and bringing that kind of like jungle environment to life, I didn't really want them to do 
try and do Metal Gear Solid Five with the jungle. I just think it's yeah. fundamentally it becomes a different game at a certain point. Yeah, and, I, I, I agree yeah. with that. I I would take a game that handles as well as Metal Gear Solid Five in this setting. Definitely. Like that's really the two things I want is it for it to look really pretty and for them to sort out the controls because not to step on the toes of our later discussion but that's uh that they're a tough hang <laughs> at times. Like even after you know. 10 12 15 hours with it uh i was still getting tripping over certain things and being like this is just so unnatural that it handles like this the the hierarchy of like standing on the ground to middle to standing up and the fact that there isn't a like an instant drop or an instant stand up like there's something fucked there that i could never get my head around yeah yeah there's also the the thing that really got me this replay right was that first person aiming and how unreliable it was it's like i'm pretty sure i shot him in the head with the dark gun but then they keep moving and i'm like oh i guess i must have missed it by like a pixel or something it's just that kind of thing i just that unreliable nature of the information you're given it's a really interesting one with this actually because two arguably does a better job of this by having the laser pointer on the dark gun but i bet that kojima thought well first of all there's a technology factor the fact that it's right. in the 60s so they wouldn't have that but also i think he there was it was pretty commonly perceived that mgs2 could be gamed with the dark gun right the m9 just go around dart 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 headshot 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 now that headshot is a lovely interaction but it made me think that here it's kind of like deliberately slightly unreliable and maybe playing into the fact that visibility in the forest is not all it could be you know um yeah some of that's tied to stamina right isn't it doesn't you you get like slightly shakier the lower your stamina is yeah that's right he gets hungry i actually like never knew what that noise was where his stomach rumbles i never i always thought that meant a fucking crocodile was nearby or something (laughs) and like but even like later in grosny ground i was like why am i still hearing the crocodile noise only twig this time that that is a stomach rumble and not a crocodile (laughs) it's like Um, a <laughs> that's on that's on me for being an idiot to be honest but, um... but there is lots of that shit in this game and and you're right in that there's a lot of the stuff where you're like is this is this like bad and poorly explained or is this like a deep mechanic that you're meant to learn to appreciate over time and that's part of its subtle genius i'd say it's probably like a little bit of column a a little bit of column b for me in that i think i think there's just some stuff in this game that i've never truly understood and i feel like if i have to watch a youtube video telling me how to like understand cqc cqc that's it like that's a flaw of the game i think it has i think it's i don't want everything revealed to me i don't want like all of its mad simulations like fully exposed but i wouldn't mind like a, a better basic training in some of its like core mechanics yeah is there anything more to CQC except grab them and slit their throat or choke them out? Is there anything else that CQC does? If you watch, like, like there are deeper dives into this. There's like I watched like a half an hour video about like every bit of it, and <laughs> right. it was just explaining like how like different you know, when he does the little kind of punch punch kick combo, what it means if like different bits of that connect different times, and what it means for like guard behavior and how you can manipulate guards and how you can throw guards around. There's the one where you can, like, you can throw them and go straight into, like, pointing a gun at them on the floor and things like that, and I've never been able to do any of that. Like, once I've figured out this button press is grab and then this button press is, like, cut their throats, I'll basically just do that. It's pretty horrible, (laughs) but I do that (laughs) a lot. (laughs) Yeah, I sort of, like, I tried to choke out more people this time than slit their throats because I was there thinking about 
how long is the sorrow boss fight going to take if I kill fucking 900 people in this like first half of the game? Right, so right. there's a bit of a time-saving aspect to my decision-making yeah. there. Um, it's I not still... the morality. I just want the time back, you know? Yeah, I I still feel like there's something there I'm, I'm missing out on, you know? Yeah. Because they make, like narratively, they make such a big thing of it. It's like this fighting style for people who haven't played it. This episode's going to be like quite a rough, <laughs> rough ride. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, but see, you can see, you can play it if you yes, haven't played it. Yes, yeah, but like, there's this fighting style that that Snake and the boss have like sort of designed between them, which they talk a lot about being like the core of their skills, and um, you know, there's a very big signature fight where it feels like you know, or, or it's suggested that there's like a a CQC level to it. That I I'm like, am I missing something here? Like at the end of the game, I'm like. Is there a really cool way to be doing this that I don't really get? And I guess that's I could apply that to quite a bit of this game. There's there's the stuff where I'm like I'm aware of something being slightly beyond me constantly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I, I I think I think it's personally a, a system that's sort of like seems flashier than it is and makes more sense when you get to the final fight with the boss and you can do sort of counter moves to some of her attacks and then right. you see you see him flipping her or whatever or like failing to counter her and yeah that's kind of like be on me <laughs> well that's it well that i kind of like did make sense of and i was like okay well if i press the y button at this point then he throws her to the ground and then that's fine but if i press circle she catches the punch and then throws him to the ground and takes his gun off of him or whatever so it feels like it's almost built for a uh, a sort of like hand-to-hand combat system that doesn't really come into play because all you ever really do right. is taking guards hostage, you know? But that there's, there's there's loads of that in this game, though, in terms of, like, there are loads of systems which you just you don't really need on a on a kind of basic playthrough of the game to the point that you wouldn't know they exist. You know, the, the classic one in this is uh, there are food huts, and if you blow them up with TNT, it weakens all the enemies in the surrounding area have lower health because you've cut off their food supplies but like i had no idea that was in the game right like that is a that is like a that is a deep simulation which i think is also in or variations of that are in phantom pain where it makes perfect sense because it's this big open world and the idea of like if you take down this radar here these guys here will have less intel or if you do this they won't be able to call for reinforcements here but like that's the thing this game has simulated elements that are just you wouldn't know unless you really went looking for them. And as a result, you just don't need them. It's weird. It's a weird game. <laughs> it, it is. Uh, Matthew, just to help the listener through this, in case they haven't played it, right. how about I give 44 minutes into the podcast, I give a tiny bit of context to what yeah, this game sorry. is. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, that was... Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's fine. So there were two Metal Gear Solid games before this one, one in 1998 and then one in 2001. They uh, they were set in near present day, slightly near future, um, in the 20th century, 21st century. This one is set in 1964, which is 31 years before the events of the original Metal Gear on MSX. The story centers on the Fox operative codenamed Naked Snake, who would later become the villain of the series known as Big Boss, as he attempts to rescue a Russian rocket scientist uh, called Sokolov from this this group of bastards called the Cobra Unit. And um, Snake is betrayed by his boss and almost left for dead during this mission but he returns to the, uh, the to the scene a, a week later to uh, to again try and retrieve Sokolov and destroy 
this um, big robot um, called the Shagohod that is capable of firing nuclear missiles and to take is, out the Cobra. Has that cleared unit, things so. up, folks? <laughs> <laughs> so um, as a game, it's you know, tactical espionage action. That's the tagline of yeah. Metal Gear. You are uh, venturing through um, these forest environments and later these more kind of like military base type environments. You have to, you uh, you take out soldiers however you w- you wish to. You can choke them out. You can use sleep darts. You can shoot them in the head with uh, with actual firearms. You can knife them. All kinds of combat options. While doing this, you have to camouflage yourself while it's going through the different environments. You also have to find food um, on site for yourself. So there are animals in these different environments: rabbits, snakes. A tree frog, <laughs> famously. Um, lots of different creatures to find. Sometimes you can just pop a grenade into the middle of a forest and blow up like the animals of farthing wood, and then like nineteen <laughs> different things fall out of a tree, and you're like, "Yep." It's like it. rain down his ration packs. <laughs> yeah, good eating tonight, and, that, and that's it. Really, it's kind of, in some ways, like a proto survival game, or like a little, you know, a sort of taste of what the survival yeah. genre would be, which is now obviously a massive massive genre particularly on pc so not sure how much of that stuff is debuted with metal gear solid 3 but certainly a lot of its its best mechanic a lot of its mechanics are done very well here um and so yeah that's uh, that's the game yeah. matthew so um i suppose that's a good place to to talk a little bit about the story here matthew because mm. like i say that i think this is the most successful of the metal gear stories by miles and miles and it's widely celebrated for its story and themes which are very much about about duty and what soldiers do on behalf of their country and what they're willing to sacrifice and their place as pawns in a political in you know kind of like a political battle geopolitical battle Mm. and uh, it's sort of a pushback to criticism of kojima's storytelling style which like i say quite an obnoxious amount of cutscenes and feels like narrative gets in the way rather than supports the game and um that has been a common complaint of his games over the years but this feels like a pushback to that criticism in a lot of ways so where do you stand on the story these days having having gone through the game again mm. uh, yeah I, I thought it was great um i think it, it it works really well in that at its heart you have this very basic like revenge thriller in that you are you know you are working towards this base there is a big robot you're trying to stop the stakes are laid out very clearly for you you know we, we have to do this to sort of avert a world war you meet all these villains in the opening stretch who you know foreshadows you're going to run into all these motherfuckers again and you know even if you just switched off your brain to all the kind of wider themes of it you can enjoy it on that level and you can enjoy um the central kind of power plays between snake the boss volgin who's this sort of russian general uh who is the kind of sort of like the leader of the enemy forces and this double agent called um eva and like just seeing how the things play out between them and there's this kind of big sort of uh mystery hanging over the character of the boss who's like your mentor who you keep sort of encountering and she's sort of like hostile towards you but doesn't ever kill you and you know what's kind of going on with that and that that stuff i think is enough to kind of carry you through but then like if you do want to go deeper like i said you've got the codec conversations you can like ring in and basically talk to these specialists about every sort of inch of that game has a conversation to be had and there's like deeper lore stuff to go into about all these characters and i just feel like in his other games he he, those things are so intertwined that you're forced to endure the stodge whether you like it or not and this is just uh i don't know it's it's really good fun like i think that's that's like the the major unsophisticated takeaway it's it's just everything like 
big and silly and it, you know people say it's like a james bond pastiche it's not really like no. that the whole survival jungle element of it is so unbond like like yeah the music perhaps in places but um you know it, it, it doesn't really you know it's its own thing completely its own thing but um you know maybe this is just re- like because we talked about it recently but it kind of reminded me a bit of um a little bit of Last Crusade in terms of kind of it was all the stuff I love from Metal Gear, but just like done in this really big fun way and incredibly enjoyable. And maybe that's because it like also ends in like the most. It's got like one of the most spectacular endings to like any game, probably. Like yeah. the final three hours of this game are kind of unreal. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, and it's kind of hard to untwine from that. So yeah, like you know. I, Maybe because it is set in the past, it's like dealing with slightly simpler ideas as well. Like there isn't like insane an insane tech angle to it. You know, it's, yeah. it's kind of men and, and war machines fundamentally, which helps. So that kind of keeps some of that stuff in check. But I don't know. Do you have deeper deeper story thoughts? <laughs> no, I think you summed up well there. I think it. You know, the I think the only way in which Kojima is really like a plagiarist is in the character of snake obviously being lifted from john carpenter but right. of, but famously john carpenter didn't sue because he said because was a nice guy which is genuinely how we should resolve more things in the real world it's just be like that's fine because he's a cool dude and, that, and then we just move on that's okay right but i agree with you that this yeah you can you can look at bond you can look at rambo for like bits of inspiration but i don't think he's big into lifting a story no and th- i think he's got his own themes that he's interested in and in- yeah. interested in exploring and when does bond ever explore that idea of like you know duty in any meaningful way or any deeper way it doesn't really it's just no, oh, I mean, daniel, maybe... daniel craig got blown up by some missiles who gives a fuck now let's play a song <laughs> from a uh, from a, a better film that was released 40 years ago so it makes me cry <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why I keep going on about that. But I suppose what I mean is like, yeah, I think I agree with you that he just, he has his own things he's interested in. And you see the way that this, the other media informs what he makes, but it's not exactly, but he's not ripping things off. And so mm. it's a very particular kind of story. The The boss create the boss character is like maybe his best creation because what I love about the boss is that she is Snake's mentor in the game. So their relationship as mentor and student is quite interesting to unpack because there's maybe a little bit of a mother figure element to it, but also maybe not quite a lover, something in Mm. between, something very intense and sort of like under the surface, you know, just some very, very particular kind of relationship. At the same time, one thing I, one touch I really love in this game is that Volgan, who is your sort of like, he's sort of the stand-in for the bog, for the bog-standard like Metal Gear Solid shit-eating villain guy who's like ultimate bastard and must be killed. But he is scared of the boss. And you see in several cutscenes, she lo- she moves towards him and he cowers. And I love that as a touch. Like his, he just had such a, there's such a clear vision of who the boss is in this game and like what mm. she means in relation to the story. And I've just don't feel like I've seen that exact character anywhere else before. You know, it's yeah, yeah. But it, I think it helps though, definitely that that Volgin is more of a presence throughout because a lot of the other games, like the big baddie, is almost a bit of a mystery. You know, mm. it's kind of you're working towards something. Who's pulling the strings? And when they turn up, like they get like a fucking three hour monologue to kind of explain themselves inevitably but they are very like densely packed there where where volgan you know on all the characters in this i do love that you see them you basically meet everyone you're going to meet in the whole game in the prologue 
and then you just keep encountering them and every time you learn a little bit more about them or you see you know it foreshadows the powers that they're going to use against you in the boss fights um like volgan is kind of like he's kind of dumb compared to some of the other big villains like he's a very like just he's just a big evil electric man who likes torturing people a bisexual sadist electric man. Yeah, yeah ba- basically. Like, he's actually ca- kind of got a little bit more in common with um, the the Senator Armstrong from Metal Gear Rising. Right, right. In terms of, like, just a big, muscly dude that you have to fight at the end, rather than, like, the, the quite charismatic, like, Liquid Snake, say, or whatever. But, um, that, that, oh, well. that's, um, but I do, yeah, I, I love that they're constantly there. It just feels like more people are in play. Like, it feels like a more traditional story structure, and I. I definitely respond well to that. And the, the one thing I, I think that kind of sits slightly to the side of it and is maybe more of a Kojima touch and more relevant if you're into like the wider story, because I think a lot of that Volgin boss stuff can just be enjoyed by itself. Like if you've not played any other Metal Gear Solids, it would that would make sense. But I do love the... the it, this is also sort of the origins of like Revolver Ocelot, who is a great villain in Metal Gear Solid, like, the, the, the modern-day setting. He's absolutely fantastic. And here you get to see him as a young man and basically how, through his sort of repeated encounters with Naked Snake, he's, like, forged into the, 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 the sort of the villain or set on the path that he's going to become. And a lot of it's, like, iconography stuff, like he's given the guns that he's going to use and all this kind of... And I, I do love that as, a, as like... A more Kojima deep cut. I mean, it's the it's the lightest of deep cuts, really, but it's it's cool. Like that that through line is fantastic. I think it's the ultimate example of fan service done well. Yeah, um, it's like the trump card of the game. I think it's like if you if you played Metal Gear Solid One and Two, it's something you bring into this game. You know, with you, it's like uh, something you can enjoy. Yeah, um, you can latch on to even if you don't know anything about Big Boss. You know, going into it, he's really fully featured and. The motion capture on him is amazing with all his gun spinning. Like, he, it looks great. The cutscenes in this game still look amazing, and he's, like, such a big part of that. Uh, every time he's, like, juggling his guns or whatever, you're like, this is just so cool. Like, even I'm, now, there's yeah. very few cutscenes that can match this. I'm just, I'm always laughing when he's doing it. Like, yeah. I'm always like, here is this absolute cocky bastard. And it goes on for way too long each time. But that is, like, p- absolutely part of the joke of the characters is how long he's fucking juggling these guns. <laughs> yes. It's just... I, I enjoy his presence immensely. I, Great creation. Not to like, you know, I, there's some, there's obviously going to be a lot of spoilers talking about this game, but like, I'd completely forgotten about the very final beat with him in the story. Yeah. And the fact that he does have that final beat, and it's sort of playable in its own little way. It's, um, yeah, it's just cool. I love that he's like the last thing you really like face off in with this in, the, in this game. Um, yeah. I like that he gets to go from being bratty villain to bratty anti-hero you know yeah yeah that's like a really nice arc and then there is also a a final reveal with him and the fact that he sort of like turns on volgin in the story at a key moment and sides with snake is a really interesting look at like how his morality as a character and what he deems as what he values in snake that he doesn't value in volgin you know mm. a kind of integrity and how just how mercurial he is it's all it's all embedded there so you know when you get down the line and he's secretly working for the president in Metal Gear Solid, or he betrays Galukovich in Metal Gear Solid 2 and steals Ray at the start and stuff like that. The fact that he's always 
playing for himself mm. makes sense you know it, it, it the tendrils of it sort of uh, connect really well i think so mm. yeah immensely enjoyable um presence in this game um yeah so yeah, in terms of the themes as well i think it it does land it, it's one of those things where this time when i played it i thought more about this as a stealth experience more than as a narrative experience just because i'm so familiar with that story and right. i feel like i've spent so much time thinking about it and looking at it i agree with you for a ps2 era game these cutscenes look fantastic what do you think of david hater in this i think he's really fucking good and i almost like and i still really do not get the decision to replace him with Kiefer sutherland that took place with mgs5 yeah. because Kiefer brought nothing to that character really in terms of emotion that david hater couldn't already do and also Kiefer didn't sound like he had any idea who he was really playing whereas obviously hater has always been snake so yeah. it's this it's just wired into him i just love that voice that voice when i hear it i'm like that is fucking video games right there yeah. you know what i mean do you get that feeling from him yeah yeah absolutely and it, it helps like he's such a good hang in this game like he because he is a different character and, you know, it's like his path to becoming a villain. It's not like by the end of it, he's Darth Vader or anything. It's like the first step of of many. But he, you know, he's a military guy, but he isn't like, you know, he like cracks jokes. And actually the stuff, the stuff with Eva is like quite flirty and fun. There's lots of like humanizing moments. Like I, I think my big takeaway from it across the board is it feels like the most recognizably human Metal Gear Solid game where there's stuff in it you're like oh i recognize these emotions you know these are these are much easier to kind of see yourself in you know whether it's like like romance or respect for a mentor you know that th- these are these are things i think more people can uh, sympathize with than you know trying to get your head around with whatever the fuck was going on in Metal Gear Solid 2 and he's such a huge part of that like he sounds like he's a bit more relaxed and having a bit more fun with it i love him in this game i think he's great i mean you're right big misstep getting rid of him also like having a celebrity voice in changes like the the character of the writing because they obviously Mm. can't do like a billion lines of codec bullshit with keith sutherland so there's a lot less of that stuff yeah um and the nature and that is part of it part of the fun is just like if you want to spend more time in these characters you can and i don't think you can with keith as snake yeah i think um another thing that yeah like that's absolutely true actually yeah and so also it also just means that you can't connect the boss you have here the big boss you have here with the big boss you have in five they just feel like they're of, they're not of the same piece and it's a bit messy because uh-huh. yes you have the same voice actor for huey who is the um hal emmerich um, otacon voice actor but because it's not snake's voice it's like it just doesn't quite work i've se- i've heard people make the argument that the big twist in phantom pain uh, mean means doesn't make sense though because it's also Kiefer in ground zero yeah, so, that's yeah. bullshit kojima just wanted to hang out with a celebrity uh, exactly that is exactly it <laughs> if you follow me on twitter it's obvious that that is the answer um he's like hanging out with el fanning now he's having a great time but yeah. i'm surprised he doesn't have more loyalty to david hater in that role yeah there's yeah. you know this it's just if you if you think of it as it's just business then it's it's a very cold way of doing it i think it does rob the games of something i, I yeah. agree um oh, i really va- i really value him and every time i hear him i get a buzz i love that the snake <laughs> the snake in this is a bit of a gun nut as well 
when he like picks up a you know like a a, a custom firearm and he starts talking about all the ways that the like the handle's been sanded down and stuff i absolutely love that stuff mm. i love the fact that he knows nothing about movies so when he ever ever has the call with paramedic to <laughs> save the game she talks about like james bond and things like that and he's got he's seen none of them he's got no idea <laughs> normally he's nonplussed by the stories in these films he's like that sounds like a dumb idea or whatever and <laughs> she's just like no it's amazing um yeah particularly like the the metal gear sorry the james bond one um, matthew where um major zero jumps in and uh goes oh what's wrong with james bond and that sort of thing that was um <laughs> really fun so i agree with you there's loads of personality in there for this character so the reason i think that the snake and eva relationship works better than the meryl and snake relationship in metal Gear solid one is that there are all these regular moments of like uh these regular touchstones between the two characters throughout the story so they meet several times they meet like behind a waterfall they meet in this like at the top of like a mountain uh, when they get to the grosny grad base they meet early on when um where you fight uh you fight ocelot's men mm. and so there is this feeling of a relationship building Whereas Meryl sort of, if Meryl dies, she's out of the story in Metal Gear Solid um, <laughs> if you fail to su- survive the torture test. But also she's not, it doesn't feel like this. The, the connection is built as successfully. So I think that you are more invested in that dynamic at the center of the story. Mm. And it makes, it means that the sting in the tail with Eva um, is all the more harsh when you get to the end of the game. So mm. uh, yeah, it really works. Um, it's good. It also helps that every time she turns up on that motorbike, she does like a mad motion captured stunt. <laughs> Where yeah. she, she like jumps through the waterfall like this it's got lots of weird special effects whatever engine they were using for this it just looks so good like the texture and the tone of it is it's really coherent and it really like has a touch like it's very rare that there are 3d looks that are timeless like this but it it, it yeah i mean maybe it helps that the the ports were so nice for the hd edition but um yeah i was like constantly constantly bowled over of like you know maybe the argument is you don't need to remake it because it still looks pretty great <laughs> yeah exactly like especially the blue point 60 fps version on yeah series x i assume blown up blown up to 4k just yeah. looks terrific you know just i wouldn't change much about that look as curious as i am to see what they do with it so uh apart yeah from, apart from of course the floating ration boxes which we all know uh, from edge are terrible <laughs> shattering immersion there just the breaking the realism <laughs> what a curious choice matthew um yeah interesting stuff so yeah so the story really lands to me the vo- supporting cast as well the voice actors are all great um i think the other thing is that obviously like hater is boxed in somewhat by how snake sounds so he he, he has like loads of subtlety within that performance but the other performers get to be have a lot more range to the way they talk yeah i love the you know the eva um voice actress and the uh, actress who plays the boss who is if you've ever seen family guy the voice of diane the newsreader in that which is i can't i can't help but remember that every time i hear her talking (laughs) i think she's i think she's fantastic but um i think it's josh keaton who plays uh, young ocelot he's just terrific oh he's Um, so good yeah um yeah, and I actually like Volgin. I like because he's so fucking nasty in this as well. Like he gets pleasure out of like electrocuting a barrel while a dude's inside. <laughs> yeah. Terrible, terrible things happen to Granin, the dude you meet early in the game, who's like the sort of like 
swept aside Russian military guy and Sokolov, poor Sokolov has a terrible fate as well and obviously like <laughs> Snake is basically tortured and you know blinded for fun this, that torture scene is so gnarly that the effect that really got me was he's got this black plastic bag over his head yeah and yeah. the animation on that thing you've seen it in films where someone is breathing pat in a panicked way inside one of those bags and it's kind of like sucking against their head like yeah. they've really captured that. It's 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 it is a really gnarly game in places. <laughs> so Matthew, is there anything else you would change about the game in a remake? Because I've uh, got actually this this is probably a good chance to talk about the gameplay side more, right? Mm-hmm. So the 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 different aspects of work here. You have the survival aspects, like I say, of collecting these um, collecting the dead bodies of animals to eat them that you can keep them in a cage to keep them fresh because. The animal carcasses will rot while they're in your possession. Mm. Another classic Kojima touch. So leave it a day, and that uh, that crocodile will not taste as nice as it did yesterday. Um, so that's interesting. And then there's yeah. uh, the camouflage system as well, um, which is a, a key part of how you use stealth in this game. So how do you think it holds up as a stealth game? Yeah, I th- like fundamentally like that. that you know, that the enemy AI I quite like, and the kind of the routine that they go through, and the the kind of the risk reward of you know do you, do you kill people or do you put them to sleep if you put them to sleep you know you could fundamentally work way your way around the area and clear everyone out which is really satisfying but all it takes is for someone to find those bodies and start waking everyone up to like undo your work um like i think that there there are sort of systems that you interact with a lot in this game which are really good like you know that core shoot sleep trank the guards you know i really really like that um you know the physical act of like crawling around and navigating a more organic environment that doesn't have those very clean right angles of the interiors until you get to some big interiors so the game kind of does both which is cool um i think that the thing that bugs me is that there is a lot of more to it that like is is just there to be cool rather than you ever really need it but i can't see how you would ever force people to connect with that stuff like that food hut thing that you just don't need to do that like that's that's just a little bit of goofy nonsense because it's that they're almost like open world systems in a game which is fundamentally linear and the only way you could make them more relevant is to like add a few sections where it maybe opens up a bit more and you've got more of a of a sort of playpen but that you can't or that you don't need to rely, engage with those systems isn't necessarily a mark against it because what you do do is fundamentally solid. So it, it feels like I can't really see them making it like this today. Mm. You know, like it, you wouldn't ever waste so much thought and like intelligent design on stuff which doesn't go anywhere or like no one ever encounters. That right. seems very counterintuitive. And, you know, phantom pain kind of is what that game would be like that is the open world game with bigger ideas and bigger systems and it teaches you them and it has the kind of length that requires you to engage with a lot more things and i think you're right i'm not saying i i couldn't i can't really visualize a dramatic remake of this game where it is like set in phantom pain world but has these set pieces and story beats i don't think that's quite right no i i think that the little potted level way that the jungle was broken up is feels it it feels very deliberate because the mm. the interesting thing that you know the the thing about Metal Gear Solid right and I've always sort of believed this because I was thinking coming into this how much do you compare it to something like Dishonored you know games where people ghost them and you know they, right. there's this very intricate self stealth systems where how you're caught how you're perceived by guards how you can escape how much information you have as a player 
with Metal Gear Solid, I've always pretty much believed that being caught is part of the experience. Um, and this game, where you are absolutely stacked with different kinds of machine guns and other kinds of firearms, that makes sense too. The thing that also backs that up is the alert system has these different phases that go away quite quickly and you can escape without with relatively few consequences. And while there is continuity between areas, if you get if you get it down to the um the caution status i believe that disappears when you go into the next area i think that's right in on normal mode yeah so, th- yeah so yeah so so it does feel like they are designed to be treated as little levels in some ways you know um it's only if you're on high alert you move between um places that you will keep that high alert so um yeah i think being caught is is sort of part of it and how obtuse it is sometimes to interact with feels like part of that to me like there is meant to be some kind of trial and error to you know to landing a shot the fact that you get very limited suppress suppressors in the game to mm. use with your dart gun means that he doesn't want you to play it the same as metal gear solid 2 right it wants mm. there's an there's an intent to have you treat it differently than that to to maybe make more of what you've got in your in- inventory at the same time it's a short game right it's not that long metal gear solid 3 you can probably finish it about 12 hours it's not not epically long but maybe the intent of this game is to have you if you want to ghost it, you can do it, but it's going to be a, a matter of trial and error, and you're going to have to very patiently engage with that, those camouflage and survival systems. Yeah. You're going to have to wait it out. You're going to have to deal with the fact that guards wake up relatively quickly if you dart them. Um, that sort of stuff. Like I just there was like, there's a military base um, nearish um, nearish the start of the game in this where there's these trenches around the outside. That's one of the few bits in the game that I bothered to actually like get everyone taken out without getting caught i, I tried it like four or five times until right. i got it and, and, and on some level i think that they want you to treat the game like that where it's you go from level to level and if you want to perfect it you put in the time to do it um and if you don't you just uh, you kind of treat it like an action game where you're trying not to get caught basically which i think is how most people play it so yeah i think the, i think the ethos behind it as a stealth game is quite different to the sort of immersive sims you see people compare this to, Matthew, sometimes, I don't think it's quite the same thing. and It's not trying to achieve the same things. Do you think that's fair? The fact that the story itself can't be changed and has action beats based, you know, baked into it, you know, I, I would think that runs counter to some of the immersive sim thinking. Like, okay, you can tranquilize the bosses rather than kill them, but you still have to fight the bosses. You know, it's not a, it's not a game where you can kind of like outwit or outthink the game design on that level um that runs counter to like some of the immersive sim values i think uh like narratively yeah i i no, I, I agree with that i mean maybe one thing you know you could do in the remake is is draw out some of that you know maybe more superficially is give people like you know an easier way to restart an area or like an indicator if they're still ghosting it or like you add extra trophies or whatever to draw that level out you know there are there are there are layers of interface and like wider wider modes or whatever that could like connect people with like the deeper level stuff in this game i just think i do and maybe that's maybe that's that's what i'm looking for it's just like idiot mode that shows me i want like an idiot mode to show me how clever it really is yeah I completely agree with you on load screens because there is no load game uh, command in the menu. You have to quit to main menu and yeah. then load again. And if you do want to try and go something, 
it's like it's not i've realized how much i've become ingrained in pc gaming um the last 10 years that i just i couldn't compute that there wasn't a quick load quick quick save function you know right <laughs> so yeah that's that is um yeah that's that's one aspect where there's a like a, it feels like there's an easy upgrade and i agree that kind of like tracking your progress in some way would also be useful so mm. yeah is I, there anything else you would change Matthew? uh i mean maybe we can talk about this in the second section uh, i don't think it's too controversial i don't think all the bosses are that great no like, i agree with that there are some things in this game which are like untouchable and you shouldn't tinker with them at all but i wouldn't preciously defend like all of the cobra fights <laughs> um i think some of them you could revisit maybe but i wouldn't yeah. know how or, or and i doubt that they're going to based on like the way they're talking about this game i don't think that's that's the vibe at all so yeah something else i thought was interesting about this playing it now is that i think the pace of the game really picks up when you get to the end i think that the end is the point you get to yeah. where by the end you mean the fight the end, not the end <laughs> yeah not the, the end of the game yeah. <laughs> yeah so the end the end before you go into the mountains that is where i think the game has just so much momentum after that like from that boss fight to the la- famous ladder which the ladder comes straight after the end that is perhaps the best one two punch of video games ever in the history of video games <laughs> um so that uh, so that's what I, I noted about it was that the just the pace of it sort of like uh, picks up in a way where it's just basically a 10 out of 10 game from that point to yeah. the end but at the same time there's an interesting push and pull with the fact that once you get to the grosny grad base you no longer have the jungle environment part of it and yeah. there is actually like a bit of a a bit of a contrast a, a bit of a contradiction i guess in like in terms of the what the momentum that they want you to have in a traditional metal gear experience and then also the usp of this game being set in a jungle basically um it's like those two things don't necessarily live side by side they are they kind of like they're kind of like oil and water that just happen to be in the same game you know when when you're in that grossly grad base it really doesn't resemble the opening hours of the game whatsoever it's completely different so yeah i mean it's yeah more, it's a traditional metal gear game it's like mm. it's suddenly metal gear solid one again but not not quite as interesting an environment no. um but yeah it feels like they're it feels like the thinking though is like you know the selling point of this or one of the selling points of this game is that you are gonna enjoy lots of different flavors of stealth and lots of different sort of you know pacing of stealth um you know, like even before the end, actually, like so, I, in my head, I always remember, like, yeah, the second half of this game, like, really goes hard, and 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 the end feels like the hinging point. But I do quite like, like the the weird little hitman beat, sort of just before the end, where you're sneaking around in that scientist costume in that smaller army base. Yeah, um, that's fun. Like that that feels like that there's a little opportunity for sort of social stealth a bit more, like before. Are you at the same base? uh no it's slightly before it's that like yeah. um mansion with the basement where you go that's where you find gran in that building yeah that's right yeah because then there's you, you there is a little bit of to and fro with grosny grad uh later where you find you sort of go in and you have to, to find the raiden costume and all that jazz um mm-hmm. but yeah i, I kind of like that it you know just as i was like okay i'm kind of like i've kind of had my little fill of jungle now and then it's like well here's a little urban environment i was like great and now here's a boss fight and now here's a mountain there's no coverage here it's gonna be very very stark and i i don't know i kind of liked that sort of flow i thought that was quite elegantly done like i was i remember the first i mean what i'm basically saying is i remember the first half being a bit more of a hard hang but actually i was i was enjoying it loads this time around well no and i actually really 
it's funny as well because it's the first time I, you know, I think it might be, this might be the first time I've actually completed it on normal. Can that be right? Oh, I might have always only played this game on easy. Right. So playing this on normal does force you to engage with the survival systems more because you are watching his health go down all the time. Yeah. Um, the other thing is actually I thought we'd have less patience for those systems this time, but I didn't really. I actually really loved the the cure screen and I loved the camouflage and I loved the you know the the food and stuff it's it's very characterful it's you know it's yeah. it's not it's if it was designed now those things would be integrated into the game 100% and probably streamlined in some way but yeah. i actually think that forcing you to engage is a good thing in this game you know yeah they, they can yeah. definitely give those things a bit of a ui makeover and still keep the character of them yeah um but uh, like i yeah if you asked me when i played this originally i can remember you know voicing the opinion for many years of like I loved it, but you spend so much time like fucking around in menus that it was like a real kind of joy kill having to do that and like mm. not really like you know associating camouflage and the healing with just just being a pain in the ass basically. But now like I don't know maybe because I know how it like I'm more efficient at it or I just know how what what I'm kind of meant to be doing. Like it didn't it didn't bother me at all this time around. No, and, and like you, I enjoyed the opening hours a lot more as a result because I was willing to engage with that stuff, you know, and I was I was yeah. probably getting into the finding the animals and enjoying the different snake reactions to food because I just forgot how much fun character there is in those. And then later on when you can feed Eva and you're finding out what she likes as well and she has different taste in food to snake, just um, those kind of granular details. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I, I like the opening bits too. I think there's just um, there's a bit where it snaps out of being exactly what metal gear solid 3's original ethos was as like the jungle stealth game and then becomes that more trad metal gear experience yeah. like you say and so yeah it's interesting to see that transition now because it feels a bit more bisected in my head yeah, than, yeah. Than, it, than it used to you know um but that's not a criticism they even cram in that very late game bit of jungle like just before the boss fight yeah where it's as if to go like oh shit yeah we have to engage with this again remember this is the jungle game here's like quite a hard bit with with you and eva um yeah that bit that bit's quite rough going <laughs> yeah definitely that was a bit of a like oh come on let's just fucking get through this so we can get to yeah. the end uh, sorry the, uh, the the actual end of the game <laughs> <Yes>. this time <laughs> the boss um so one thing i would change actually if if we were going to do like a proper overhaul of the game and we could actually change bits it sounds like they're going to be very like faithful and just yeah. give it a visual overhaul probably some kind of interface overhaul too is that i would dial up the social stealth bits because it seems to me that having snake be a scientist and having snake dress up as volgin's you know lover um ivan rykov i just it seems seems to be a joke about raiden that is slightly homophobic probably <laughs> but is you know he's a he's a ranking military professional i don't think he's like he's 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 maybe like emasculated but he's not enormously treated as a figure of fun but i would dial up the social stealth bits because you get that costume you walk through a door and then that's kind of basically it unless you decide to go out into the grossly grad base and then every soldier there goes sir sir mm. and it seems like maybe it's just the hitman part of my brain matthew because hitman in some ways has become like the defining modern stealth game experience to me you know mm. it's the, the 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 nicest form of it it's the, in terms of like it's the form i enjoy the most the most pick up and play but also has a high skill ceiling feeling to it I think because of the, my, the Hitman part of my brain, I want to see, well, what is Snake has to be this guy and he has to go to like a meeting or something or he has to like go into this, you know, like has to make a decision about how to discipline a soldier or something like that. Like it just, what if that role play aspect was dialed up more and it was played right. for laughs? Because 
they put those systems in the game, but they are very simple and they're very momentary. And so that's one thing I change is I'd, I'd increase that and I increase the possibility for comedy by having Snake be undercover as these as fake scientists with a bandana and then um, yeah. and then Ivan Rykov. So those are the things I'd change, Matthew. Yeah. Otherwise, but uh, yeah. Okay, Matthew, I just got a couple more questions then before we take a break and come back with Ooh. our next section where we're going to rank the bosses of Metal Gear Solid 3, which seems like a fun way to cap off. But do you find this big boss era of Metal Gear more interesting in terms of story and theme? Or is Solid Snake in the more modern techno-thriller vein more your sort of thing? And like, what do you think Kojima preferred based on your experience of the games? Oh, it's, it's a, that's, a, that's a really tricky one. Like narratively i i like the i like i do like the simplicity of the earlier timeline and like the stakes that i can understand um some of the modern day threats and challenges that you sort of face in metal gear solid one two and four are just uh a little kind of like go a little over my head um uh but at the same time i do love like what that technology unlocks like mechanically or you know with some of the goofier stuff you know like i love the metal gears themselves i think they're really cool um i like the more kind of like urban settings of them or the more like modern settings that you know it's it's tough there's not a lot in it for me i'd say between old old and new in terms of like it is interesting that like kojima kept returning to the past you know like i swear like originally metal gear solid 3 felt more of like a oh, here's a novelty, like, we're going to do the 60s one, this will be fun, rather than this is the beginning of, like, an arc which is as substantial, if not more substantial, than the modern Metal Gear Solid arc. I don't know how it counts games to games. You are watching a villain origin story, aren't you, in, you know, yeah. in Metal but Gear like, Solid Yeah, but, like, just the between them, you know, three Phantom, uh, uh, Ground Zeroes, Phantom Pain, Peace, Peace Walker. Walker, like, just, you, you probably, you spend more time as that... As big, bo- as big boss than you do 3D Solid Snake, which is which is kind of mad. Um, I, 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 th- I, mean, I think he he relished both. I mean, the the, the amount you know the amount of him that's in all of these games. I find it quite hard to sort of un- untangle them in his affections. Really, the modern setting has the more potential for. Let's say another studio wanted to make a Metal Gear Solid game, right? I wouldn't recommend they make a big boss game, but I would recommend they made a solid Snake game, you know? Right. Just maybe it's because because Snake is this kind of interloper in these different stories, like in Ghost Babel and the um, you know the Game Boy Color game, and then, yeah, the uh, Metal Gear Acid games as well, which are kind of non-canon. But he's sort of a more one-size-fits-all action hero. You can stick into all these different, you know, sort of like sci-fi stories that ha- happen to have a big robot in them, and then that's kind of fine. Whereas I think the arc, the arc being so defined for Big Boss is the major strength of that character, and therefore those games, you know, you just you know it's on a track to one one end point. Um, mm. So that works really well, even if you're not that familiar with um, Metal Gear or Metal Gear Two, the original games. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. So I th- I think personally, I think Kojima probably preferred the Big Boss era because all of the more all of the modern games were were like about that era basically right and and the ones where these kind of like new systems like the fulton system and then the more you know the the heightened simulation in mgs5 kojima chose to to tell a story in that time period rather than with solid snake um solid snake it felt like a story that 
he consciously wanted to end you know um mm. hence why mgs4 is so all-encompassing as a game so yeah that's that's kind of what i think but you know mm. i'd be interested to ask him but i will never get the opportunity so i can only guess so yes um, <laughs> <laughs> last question there matthew this is more about us than metal gear i suppose oh, good oh, i like those questions because <laughs> we don't talk enough about us and our podcast on our podcast do you think we should do MGS1, MGS4 and Peace Walker pods to complete the set? We've done two and three now, and we've done the yeah. best moments one. Like, I feel like I've always got more to say about this series. Is is yeah. there anything in that, do you think? One and four. Peace Walker's a weird one for me. Like, I, I just... I, it's not that I don't like it, but I just... I don't have as deeper thoughts about it. It's not quite the same as the others. It doesn't have quite the same character. Right. You know, I don't yeah. know if that's because of, like... I don't know. I feel like I never really played that game at its at its peak when you could do it like co-op with people or whatever. You know, I feel like it's like talking about like an old Monster Hunter game or something. It doesn't feel <laughs> co- com- like it doesn't feel like you can fully experience what it is now. Right. Yeah. I think that if we ever do Peace Walker, we should probably do it in some kind of MGS5 pod, and it's combined into that sort of yeah. thing. And it's like uh, the other stuff that has Big Boss in it uh, pod, um, which might be further down the line. One and four, I could see being more in our future more in our immediate future than peace walker you know yeah i mean the problem with four is i don't i don't even have a ps3 anymore you know like <laughs> i just can't play that game <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um but that's that that is on you isn't it because if you you should own a ps3 if you want to play that game so that's yeah. on you right yeah I think I, unless i've got one upstairs in the attic or something i can't yeah. remember it's gone i sent that console to the video game graveyard yeah absolutely so yeah but it's uh one yeah. for sure like and we're about to have it in a very playable for a very you know on every platform basically yeah and the other reason i kind of want to do one is there's still no other game that feels like one in terms of how it looks and sounds it's really its own very specific kind of late 90s thing so uh mm. yeah there's uh that's something that maybe the listeners can look forward to down the line any other all-encompassing mgs3 thoughts matthew to see us out before we take a break I just how good it is, you know. Yeah. Like, if you'd asked me before doing this episode, which was the best one, you know, I I, I love Phantom Pain. I think mechanically it's the most sophisticated, but mechanically the most sophisticated. But I thought um, this one, I, I was really struck with how well balanced it is in terms of, like, the Kojima bullshit I like the action that I like, the mechanics and the stealth that I like. It, this is a, a, a very, very well-judged game. It's a real delight to play. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's like uh, 5 just doesn't really have any heart and this game is all heart, you know? It's, yeah. That's the thing. It's like, it's 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 cold. It's a cold, modern game that's excellent at what it does and that's it's it's nice because it means that MGS has all of its stealth bona fides, you know, unquestionably. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So that's good. But yeah, if you, you could... If you were like playing through the series for the first time and you went from three to five, telling the story of this guy, you would be like, I think you'd be slightly heartbroken to realize the story is not quite the same kind of angle. Um, yeah, Peace Walk, Peace Walker has a bit more of three in it, but even then, like it's three is its own very specific special thing, I think. So, uh, mm. yeah, absolutely magic, loved it. Um, and yeah, just um, just enjoyed kind of try, trying to engage with it more as a stealth game and try and understand it as as i always think of like the tactical tactical espionage action they're telling you there that action is part of the mix that the hide and seek element 
does matter here like being caught is not it should not be the end i mean i think one of the more difficult one of the difficulty settings you can treat it so you get caught and it's like a game over but for most players it's meant to be a game where you're caught you run away and there's the drama of the chase and some awesome music kicks in and Mm. it's really exciting and i think that really is like at the um at the core of the the intent behind mgs3 and uh one two three and four so yes um those are my closing thoughts i guess matthew uh and the star trailer star Sailor track at the end is also banging of course uh way to fall what if those guys will make a bit of money now that um mgs3 is being remade that better be in that remake if they don't put star sailor in there i'll go i'll just like i'll flip a table over you know they better not go and get like like fucking keen or Turing breaks or someone else from the time like some kind of other like british dudes with a guitar band so uh yeah um those are my closing thoughts matthew should we take a quick break matthew and come back with our boss rankings yeah let's do it back to the podcast so in this second shorter section we're going to rank the bosses in Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater having played through the game again of course that's, we've got some that's fresh the, takes on this that's the bosses you fight not the bosses <laughs> aka big boss and the boss that, that would be a short section <laughs> yeah it would be um thank you for clearing that up Matthew and uh yes yeah, so that will lead us to the end of the podcast the end of this podcast not the boss fight called the end or indeed the end of Metal Gear Solid 3 just to clear that up so hope we're 100% clear on that um I will say, actually, one line that keeps repeating in my head, Matthew, since I played this game is, um, James Bond's the biggest thing to come out of the UK since the Mayflower. I wouldn't be surprised if they made 20 more of those movies. That is, like, embedded in my brain. Um, (laughs) The guy who plays Major Zero is excellent, actually. Jim Piddock, he's, like, one of the dudes you see in Christopher Guest movies, but he's otherwise one of those movie that guys, you know. Um, Do you sort of dig him? he's, He's not English, is he? Yeah, he is English. Is he? Yeah, yes. Did oh, you not I know? thought it was a guy doing like a parody of it. No, he's like a, he, he is often seen as like the English guy in different TV shows. So I've saw I saw him in he's in one episode of Angel playing a butler. He's British in that. Um, he's in he's plays a Simon oh, Cowell that type. Guy. I just looked him up on Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's one of the judges in Best in Show. Oh which my is god! A, th- right. Oh well, my apologies. I thought it was like someone doing a spoof British accent. Did you think it was Troy Baker, Matthew? <laughs> no, I didn't think it was Troy Baker, but it's it, it's kind of ripe in places, that video. <laughs> well, I think it's just deliberately meant yeah. to be a bit hammy, but I think he really suits it. And he's like, the vibe is just so different from Campbell, you know? Um, right. It's just what the cat, the combination of like David Hayter and the, uh, and uh, I can't remember who plays Roy Campbell now, actually, but those like two voices are just like perfect. Like they are, you know proper sort of like chocolate peanut butter but these two go really well together i think the yeah. major being this like slightly over the top bowie referencing yeah. sort of like figure yeah kind of well works. hopefully he's on cameo so we can get him to do the intro for our <laughs> uh, 200th episode <laughs> and i'll say by the way don't listen to the uh, metal gear solid 3 episode where my uh, friend uh, slags you off for sounding i love the performance i just thought it was someone putting on a funny voice <laughs> yeah, uh, Christopher Guest movies, Matthew, where are you on that? I think Best in Show is my my favourite of his. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah the, the dog thing is a bit of a block for me. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> I just don't get dog people at all. 
you know, do we count Spinal Tap as a Christopher Guest film? I guess that's Rob Reiner, but I guess, you know, yeah, he is but, in it. His, uh, yeah, yeah wait, it would be Waiting Spinal for Guffman. I like that. I actually quite like the folk music one. Oh, uh, yeah, the, uh, Mighty, Mighty Wind. Wind. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's, they're, they're all pretty solid, but Best in Show um, has that couple who are on the brink of divorce at the dog show, and they always just struck me as so real. One of them's played by Parker Posey. I quite like that as well. Uh, right. Every set of, like, characters in that feels quite real in terms of dog people, but... If you don't like dogs, that's tough. Anyway, this podcast. So <laughs> yes. let's rank the bosses. Um, right, we've got. I'm going to fly through the list of them here in chronological order. I hope I hope I got this right. But um, that will basically uh, just remind people of who they are. So you have young Ocelot first up. You uh, you encounter him in the story a bit earlier, but there's a bit where he's basically a- across a cliff from you, and you are shooting at yeah. each other. That's the first boss. There's the pain who is um, a dude who throws bees at you, and you fight him in a little watery cave. Uh, preposterous boss fight, that one. Um, there's the fear, which is a man who jumps, around, who has like some kind of lizard tongue and jumps between trees invisibly, shouting, fear! There's, a, there's the end, a legendary ancient sniper um, who is literally dying as you are fighting him. Very slowly, his stamina bar is going down. There is the Fury, who is a Russian cosmonaut who <laughs> has a flamethrower. That's his whole deal. Oh, um, that, we'll, get yeah, to we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, we might disagree on that one then. Um, there's the Sorrow, which is a conceptual boss fight where every single person you've killed in the game you face in a kind of like uh, River of the Damned sort of scenario, yeah. while this dead member of the Cobra unit um, taunts you about all the people you've killed. Then there's a uh, Volgin, who is like a one-on-one battle but then turns into like a mech fight so i've kind of combined those into the same thing so volgan and the shadow shagohod i've got here as as one fight do you think that's right matthew or should those be broken up uh i think we can justify that it's like a big set piece isn't it yeah basically so one kind of flows into the other and then finally there's the boss the fight with uh between snake and his mentor so those are the bosses matthew um which is the worst one i say the fear I think I probably agree, but it's um, close. <laughs> there's not. There's, I think there's like three obvious ones at the bottom. Personally. Okay, what, what are your three obvious bottoms? Right. Uh, I think that. I think all the first three are all kind of like much of a muchness to me. I think that the pain, the pain's got the good factor of you have to jump into the water to avoid his bees, right? But otherwise, <laughs> he just has to forget where you are. You pop out of the water, and then you just shoot him while he's distracted. Like that's kind of all that fight really is. But the the bee effect is quite cool because he can catch your grenades and catch your bullets and stuff. Yeah, I, I guess I wouldn't. I guess I wouldn't put that at the bottom because that alone is conceptually interesting. Um, I think the the problem. Yeah, one problem I have with the pain is that his arena requires a few more fiddly button presses to like climb up on the rock and dive underwater and swim underwater, like. That stuff it asks a bit a, a, a bit more of you, which is a pain in the ass. But um, I don't know. I just think the I think the fear is of all the enemies, like the least interesting design as well. It's just a man yeah. in a long tongue who sort of jumps around trees, and you just t- put on the thermal goggles, and he's fucked, and that's it. <laughs> like that is the that is the fight. Yeah, or you use the um the one of the things I did do in this game actually is because you don't have the the traditional solid on radar for Metal Gear Solid mm. in in this, this one is I put the motion sensor on for the first time and that they do some interesting things with that in the boss fights actually um one of which we'll talk about uh, momentarily but I think I agree with you because the the fear the personality of that character is not really established either you don't get a sense yeah. of what he's all about really he's just sort of there he's the most Saturday morning cartoon villain 
where he's yeah. just he's like I'm evil you know like that's his whole like vibe and you're like uh I mean like I'm not saying the pain is that sophisticated he's just a man covered in bees he shouts pain pain <laughs> yeah. I mean but I like something about that resonates a bit more <laughs> yeah I think um to go back to my um tenuous XL episode um boss episode uh, criteria yeah. Matthew I think with Metal Gear bosses there is a there's a, a few things to consider the build up to the boss like this you know like the the things leading up to the boss and MGS3 is an all timer for it because obviously you do have that cutscene where all the cobras kind of converge at the start so mm. the build up is arguably great across the board because you know they're all coming there's a setting and context which are sometimes excellent in this game frequently excellent and I think that that is I, the worst quite one good thing about the fear is that that jungle um, area you fight him in is full of traps so yeah, there's a little yeah. bit of that tension to it he has he goes in to retrieve food to re- restore his stamina bar I think that's quite interesting as well I do agree with you that like there's not much to it in terms of actually finding him and killing him though so yeah. he can go at the bottom I agree with that um, but the pain's close I mean I'm not saying the like neither of them kind of cover themselves in glory you know yeah the thing is though does Metal Gear Solid have a dirty secret Matthew in that none of the Ocelot boss fights are ever good in the entire series are they all just okay because this one where you're just shooting at him while he hides behind a rocks to reload it's kind of like not as satisfying as any of the cutscenes where you see Snake fighting Ocelot those are great fun yeah I, I, I think I had conflated like that fight with the enjoyment of the cutscenes like I, I think we can say that his boss fight isn't good and that doesn't dent him as a character. I would have pr- probably defended that boss fight as a general revolver ocelot defense, but yeah. I, I think he lives outside of it. Um, yeah, that fight's, that fight's quite annoying because, <laughs> you know, you're kind of stuck behind this little platform. He's stuck on this other platform. It's a little bit sort of, t- sort of shooting gallery. I think you can do some stuff where you shoot down like bee nests to kind of like draw him out of cover and things. Yeah. Um, and his yeah. men will join in sometimes and uh, yeah. start shooting at you, which is cool. Um, I'm not saying it's it's great, though. I mean, it's definitely, like, towards the bottom. <laughs> yeah. So if we agree that the fear is at the very bottom, um, Ocelot or the pain, which is better out of those two, do you I, think? I just... I'd still take Ocelot, just because, like, if I'm going to hear repeated sound lines, I'd rather hear Ocelot rather than the pain. He just says things like, I'm going to cause you pain, and he shouts out the name of his moves, which is dumb. Tommy Gun! <laughs> That's no, rubbish. I like that. And then he fires Tommy Gun bees at you. Oh, that's no. great. And then he goes, oh, that's what I hate about the pain. He goes, grenade. And then a load of bees slowly carry a grenade towards <laughs> you. Like the idea that you've got like, oh, here are 200 bees who are going to collectively work to carry a grenade. That's so stupid. And he does that annoying thing where he creates like the bee clone of himself and you have to work out which <laughs> one to shoot. Uh, Surely though, that is conceptually more interesting than the Ocelot fight, which is just a man hiding behind a rock reloading. Surely it's more interesting than that. But the Ocelot fight also has bees. You can shoot bees <laughs> the bee nests down. Uh, yeah, I just... <laughs> the pain of all these boss fights, the pain just took me ages because I just kept falling off that little fucking rock and like... Maybe it's because earlier in the game I was still getting my head around the slightly fucked controls. Um, yeah, it's it's quite hard to angle a grenade at him as well, which is what oh, you need to do to... Bit, uh, yeah, I just I had a bad time with him, but you're probably right. He is probably more interesting than Ocelot, he said begrudgingly. 
Well, also the little water cave is a more interesting setting, I think. Like, I yeah. like it when you do miss the grenade and then you just blow up a load of fish and then you can just go pick them up and eat yeah. them. And that's because yeah, that's that's fam- famously um, fish are very nice to eat when they've been blown up by an explosive. <laughs> that's like what happens to fish. Um, so that's my that's my argument, Matthew, for the pain being slightly above Ocelot. Okay. But it is, it is no diss against the Ocelot character, agreed. So... Um, yeah, weirdly, it's just a low point with that with that character. Yeah. You do get the great cutscene afterwards where he starts like hitting bees with his twirling guns. That's ridiculous. Oh, that's mad. He gets attacked by so many bees and he <laughs> and he just fights them off by twirling his guns. <laughs> so stupid. And you just see loads of bees falling down from it as well. It's that's yeah. a great great scene. <laughs> yeah, that's great stuff. All right, so so far we've got the fear at the bottom. Second bottom is our slot. Third bottom is the pain. So. That's uh, you good yeah. with that, buddy? Yeah. Before we move on, okay. The end, right near the top, right. So one or two, surely. Oh, one. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I yeah, thought one. you were saying the end was next. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Uh, no, 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 no. I just mean the chronologically in the game. Oh, right. I thought you're like, oh, he's going to be the fourth worst boss. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, of course not. No, he's like, yeah. I think it's like one or two. But interested to kind of like go through this when we get there. So. Yeah, so I think um, I think my sort of previous point about how you were meant to play this on PS2 with a lower resolution so you couldn't see him as right. easily holds true because he is quite easy to spot. I would say um, you use a you use a directional microphone to find him, yeah. but um, the staging for this, like the cutscene where Snake's looking around the jungle and you know he's out there, and like his his whole monologue about how he's like it's like one last battle grant me the power to like to achieve this victory and stuff like that he immediately has a cooler and better reason to be than the other the preceding um cobra fights you know yeah. so there's personality to that character as well as the conceptually amazing idea of a hidden sniper fight what do you make of this one playing through it again definitely a boss fight like i've warmed to over the years like i've always understood the kind of brilliance of it but i actually i found it very very hard when i was playing this for the first time when i rented it from blockbuster I remember thinking, like, oh, this game's got to go back soon. I don't have the time to be fucking around with this. Um, <laughs> but actually, like, now taking your time with it, using the directional mic to sniff him out, I really love that. I, I, I don't know if it happens every time you play it, but it happened the time I play it. The, he can catch you. Yeah. And yeah, send can. you back. I don't know if that... Does that always happen? Did he catch you and put you in prison? Yeah. No, it doesn't always happen. It... He can basically hold you... Did he hold you hostage, or did you yeah, like, turn the game off? Yeah, he basically says, like, oh, I've got you, or whatever. And then the camera turns around, and he's standing behind you, and you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, I think it's like that punishes over-reliance on the directional mic, I think. So when I, when I play it now, I'm always putting the mic on for, like, 10 seconds and clicking off again just to make sure he doesn't oh sneak up on me. It's like trying to work out how PT works. It's Jared <laughs> all over again. We're trying Jared. to work out the arcane rules of the end. <laughs> Yeah, the arcane rules of Jareth. That's certainly uh, a thing I was doing in 2014. But yeah, um, yeah, it's uh, that's what's great about it though. Is I still don't really understand exactly how he works because right. there was um, there's a bit. In, I went to save um, because I was going to have dinner or something, and then the uh, you don't actually really need to save in this anymore with Xbox Quick Resume. You yeah. just turn it back on and it's there. Although you do miss out on the great MGS3 uh, opening menu screen with the cool music, but. Um, there's a bit that paramedic says to you, are you sure you want to save here, Snake? So something happens there. I don't know if he can also keep you take you hostage if you save at that point. Oh. Um, so there's, yeah, she was warning me against that. And then there's other stuff he can do. Like you can walk into his trap and then um, you have to cut yourself free and he starts shooting at you while you're hanging out of a tree. That rules. Oh, uh, I've not uh, done that. 
yeah, that happened to me in this fight. That I don't think that's happened to me before. Um, right. Or at least I don't remember it doing that. So that's obviously really cool. Naturally, can fall asleep in the battle, but that restores his um, stamina a little bit too. So just really fucking good, this fight, isn't it? Uh, just a, one of the best things ever in a video game. <laughs> well, it's, it's the confidence to go, hey, here's this thing that might like legitimately take you like an hour to do if you yeah. don't know what you're doing. And like the idea of someone like allowing the game to potentially go that pear shaped you just yeah. in in the in the age of focus testing and whatnot you just think like no no one would let that that occur like there might be a cute version like a fast forward version of this but never never on this scale yeah it's also the fact that i think it also does some of the best world building secretly because you spend time in these three quite vast jungle environments trying to find him switching between them you know trying to like find his sound basically mm. it just it, it sells the jungle setting so much because you are listening to the ear you know just, just it's it's eerie just hearing the sounds of like water running down a stream or wildlife mm. because you're like i know he's out there somewhere but i can't find him and by you know by planting you in that area and you spending so much time trying to find him i think it just heightens your connection with that jungle environment um, and that jungle theme in the game so mm. that's not that's another reason i think it it, it ties better to that core ethos of the game than almost anything else does in the game you know yeah um it truly makes the most of that jungle setting so yeah he's he's also got a beautifully shootable head when you yeah. do find him he's got a big bald head it's so satisfying just to put the sniper scope on it and just blam him yeah where are you at on the teeth shooting out of him when he dies uh, <laughs> like, i always forget that it's that's the thing it's so drawn out and like poetically done that it ends with this really dumb denture skag i don't know if that's brilliant or not <laughs> one thing i do love actually is the fact that all of the cobras explode when they die um and like in one case like it's like a fucking evangelion sort of cross like fire cross kind of thing but they all explode and it, it feels like some kind of biblical punishment for all the bad shit they've done you know what i mean like doesn't happen to uh the boss notably um, do you think the avarice will explode <laughs> yeah and trousers will go everywhere matthew just Jean, like fucking jeans into the sky everywhere <laughs> what about you does it just like do you like do you just do, will calorie mates explode out I'd of you i'd be like you a pinata yeah i'd the explode greed. they'd just be like cans of rio everywhere <laughs> everyone's like oh this don't worry in all the guides it'd be like don't worry if you've even got any health for this boss fight you just have to feed him a load of food until he pops <laughs> and then gives you all the food you'd need for the rest of the game yeah like my shorts kind of like a uh, hack yeah <laughs> uh, i do actually I must say i do slightly regret um sort of like picturing myself as a metal gear boss who steals men's trousers like i do actually regret <laughs> that partially just want to have that on the record for the listeners there. i mean you, uh, uh, like you can have a do-over if you want no no it's fine what i like, just edit it back into the podcast no, no, no. you no. can just you can just, you can just say you're something new now you're this. no i think the tra- i think the trousers thing is actually quite funny so uh <laughs> <laughs> I think that that kind of works. So uh, yeah, um, is that what avarice means? Actually, does avarice mean greed? I think it does. So we're yeah. both actually called the greed there. Yeah. So we've done the same thing twice. Two giant we're, men. We Two just giant get greedy boys. We just get sent home by the boss. Basically, maybe, get... maybe we fight us at the same time. Maybe it's like an Ornstein smell type deal. <laughs> we've definitely made that joke about us before. Yeah, and then I know. I, but like, and then we've done so know, many of these episodes. <laughs> like that's allowed. Did we? Did we also make the joke that we'd both be the big one twice? There wouldn't be like one smaller <laughs> one. It'd just be yeah, like the same. Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> okay, good stuff. Bit of law there for the listeners. Um, so yeah, I, also we'd go to board the the Cobra unit helicopter, and the boss would be like, "No, we're sending you home because you're too shit. Like you're not I good would... enough to be in this game. So I, go I, home." Like... I am so like bad around like bees and wasps. I would not get in a helicopter with a man made of fucking bees. I'd make such a fuss about that. They'd kick me out of the Cobra squad just for being like a fuss pot. Yeah, I'd be like, look, I have to sit in the front seat of this helicopter, or I'm not going. I'm out. I just I'm not I'm not getting involved in this Cold War kind of nightmare. So uh, yeah, okay. Um, so the end is number one in the list, yes. um, and then we've got a gap in between. Next up, the Fury. Where do you stand on the Fury, Matthew? I, I think he's the next worst one on our worst list. So coming up from the bottom. I, I think... I, go on, okay. sorry. I no, go ahead. I like that he's just like an astronaut who went mad. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea that he just went into space, saw Earth, and just like lost it and decided to come down and kill everyone with fire. <laughs> and I like the fact that he turns into like a fire snake when he dies. That's really yeah. funny and weird. But the actual fight itself is, is like a big pain in the ass. I think I think it's a good fight oh okay here's why right so I don't ever played like I said I've been playing this game on easy for years so playing it on normal I didn't it, it, it really is like a proper hide and seek boss fight like you you have to basically get there's like all these different sort of like columns in a row when and he can appear at any one of them he can jetpack around so you don't know exactly where he's going to be it's quite quiet but you can spot him in the distance and then sort of like snipe him or hit him with your machine guns that sort of thing but as soon as you've hit him he will almost immediately do a fire attack afterwards and when you're playing on normal it's the difficulty i think is perfectly calibrated so you can only fuck up the dodge of the fire attack so many times and that just really worked for me as a kind of like risk reward boss fight it was like if i miss this shot and he'll knows i'm here then i've missed my opportunity here and so i ended up failing it three or four times but that combined with the fact that there are there are like loads of bats flying around right so if you have the motion sensor on and you're trying to find him you have these like little like dots in the map everywhere because the bats are there so it's not actually that useful and i actually uh, really love right. i love i love that as a bit of design too so i've come around i used to think this was just like yeah just fucking shoot him and if i get set on fire who cares i'll just like you know heal or whatever um use some life medicine um but not this time i actually i was i was conceptually i was quite into it this time so yeah i while i think it it does belong it is probably the next worst on the list right i do think it's it's a lot better than i thought it was you know um yeah 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 I just, I don't, I just, it's the, like, maybe it's the stress of playing it and, like, there's fire everywhere and fire's always a bit annoying in games when you keep setting on fire and you're like, oh, Jesus, I'm on fire again. Um, like, he said, <laughs> check out Mr. Edge over here with his deep analysis. Uh, <laughs> imagine, uh. imagine submitting that copy to Tony. <laughs> uh. um, the, the other thing is that the Fury has the unfortunate uh sort of like job of following the end as well so that that's 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 also part of it um i think also like the fury like it's the one he gets the least like foreshadowing he just sort of turns up and he's like i don't know he's like something out of no more heroes he's very on he's very odd his deal yeah Um, who's calling him on his fucking walkie-talkie when you can hear spaceman sounds what's all who's calling him (laughs) no idea i just the, the thing is like it misunderstand. Oh, maybe this is deliberately part of it. Maybe this is the joke. Is that astronauts? Are, they're so fucking boring. Like 
all astronauts, whenever they hear them, because the people who get to be astronauts have to be so like level-headed that whenever they come back to Earth and they get back to Earth and then they just they're famous for the rest of their lives for going to the moon or whatever. They're always boring to listen to, I find. And I'm really sorry if anyone listens to this podcast loves astronauts or is related to an astronaut. But, like, this is something my sister pointed out to me years ago. She was just like, oh, really? she really hates that one that plays the guitar. <laughs> What's his name? Tim something, is it? Oh, yeah, that. And uh, now I watch some, like, clips and you're like, yeah, you know what? This person is really boring. Like, th- th- you have to be boring to go to space. And hey, I like not- that this has one mad astronaut. This guy is doing a lot to like make astronauts cool again. <laughs> Not in For All Mankind on Apple TV Plus, Matthew. Those astronauts... That's got some cool and sexy astronauts. Those people yeah. come back and they're like fucked up by space. That is right. That, that yeah. They make astronauts cool again. But I just they love... Do. Like, if, the fil- if the Armstrong film, the very boring Armstrong film, what was that called? First Man. First like, Man. I like First Man, but uh, it's, 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 it's slow going. I would it's probably a film that very, very delicately captures how boring you have to be to go to the moon. <laughs> and you're like, yes, congratulations, mission success. But if at the end of that film he just like looked back on Earth and they just went fucking mad and turned <laughs> into this, that would be a much better film. I'd watch that, that was film. His, that was his villain origin. So I'm going to go back with a flamethrower and just live in like some fucking Soviet mountain range or whatever. <laughs> and wait, wait for guys to walk past in my little corridor. But that is actually uh, yeah. what it says. There's no deeper thoughts with than that then yeah i just went up there and went i just have to burn everyone who's down there and you're like (laughs) that do you think that would be different if he if if it was an american character the fact that it's a russian guy feels like they can sort of maybe they feel like can get away with it more i don't know but it's that quite weird bit where the boss tells you her story and she basically what changes the boss is also going to space Right, right. Because she was like the first, she says secretly she was the first astronaut in space and they sent her up and she, there's this weird thing, don't they send her because she gets like massively like irradiated in a bomb going off or something. So it's like she's basically doomed anyway and she goes up and gets like huge doses of radiation in space and sort of looks back down on Earth and sees that we're all actually, you know, all armies and all walls are kind of bullshit because fundamentally we're all on this planet together and... I like that she comes back and is the boss and the Fury comes back and is the Fury. Just a very different vibe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, um, this film is like, this game is, is not good for like what happens to you in space. It's a very bad advert for space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, especially because like space was so, I guess it was the, the key, is a key theme in the 60s, right? So it makes yeah. sense that it's such a core part of this game and it's represented in some way. But yeah, it is represented in like with the maddest bullshit possible. <laughs> yeah. It must be said. Um, okay, the Fury goes uh, fourth bottom. So next up we come to the Sorrow. This is a side note actually, but one thing I was actually, my, my my jaw dropped to how pretty this game was, was you know that bit where you're going down a straight river and there's like those floating dudes, like they've got those little yeah. floating platforms. Those things are dumb, side note. <laughs> they they are dumb and it's the 60s, so why do they yeah. have them? Anyway, um, that the way that bit, that area looks, Matthew, is like a fucking Apocalypse Now poster or something. Just beautiful oh, yeah. orange orange sky and those silhouettes of the trees and the water Fuck. effects are good as well like rippling and yeah. loads of fish loads of fish swimming beneath yeah. you so good man i was like ah oh, that's 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 gorgeous so side note there as we talk about another long river you walk down with the sorrow <laughs> um the dead cobra a dead member of the cobra units and uh and uh, the boss's lover it turns out so 
this is a conceptual fight like i say it goes on for as long as you've killed enemies in the game basically i think it tallies almost exactly matthew i haven't researched that but it, it feels like that's pretty much the intent and therefore if you play it non-lethally then um it's uh, there are fewer consequences to who you're dealing with the enemy types you encounter reflect the enemy types you kill in the game if you shot down a helicopter you'll see a helicopter pilot love that touch mm. um and there's not much more to it really you just have to avoid this uh sort of like ghost attack he does at you sometimes but i think that even though it's a sort of a, a tough hang on a replay because you know the deal and therefore you can't be impressed by it in the way that you were the first time you played it where you were like what the hell is going on especially following the amazing cutscene in this where uh snake jumps off of the uh off of the waterfall basically the um, scene yeah yeah that okay okay there is some plagiarism in this game but yes <laughs> um it's like I, I think just in the the annals of gaming history type angle you have to respect this boss fight right oh yeah yeah as 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 a sort of cinematic storytelling exercise absolutely brilliant it's got yeah a, a great gimmick to it uh I, like the sorrow is quite a weird presence in this game throughout like i i, I never really understood the he sometimes gives you like hints and cutscenes, like he's sort of floating around in the background and things. He's a very strange, strange dude. But um, for that, yeah, as a big striking kind of like that kind of first hit of it is is super impressive. I think it's got. I think it's got to be above the fury. Uh, yeah, I think so. Even though I, I'm sympathetic to, to the fury. I think yeah. the sorrow is just <laughs> the sorrow is one of those psychomantis type ideas. That's just a, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it's that part of that strand of um, metal gears dna so Ugh. yep that goes above um and we come to volgin and the shago hod this i think this is a great fight actually because like you're just really ready to take on volgin when it comes down to it you're like fuck this guy this guy fucking sucks and there is um an, an element of it where he has this electric attack and if you have a gun out the electric attack zooms in on your gun because obviously it's like drawn to the metal. But if you mm. don't have your gun out, then the attack is quite easy to evade. So there's a lot of like taking your guns out, putting them away kind of thing. Mm. Um, quite unpredictable when you can actually hit him, I would say. It's like one one floor of that hand-to-hand fight. But once I got the floor of it, I really liked it. You have Ocelot chucking you armor, which is cool. You, there's this platform that lowers down in the hangar that's got the Shago hod in it. So that's, that's excellent. And then it turns into the a set piece of a chase basically along mm. like the, out of the military base grosny grad and then down a runway and then um eventually across a bridge where you try and destroy the shagohod by blowing up the uh c3 that's strapped to the bridge and then one final fight with him in this sort of like uh like a large field i guess where you just got to shoot him as he's like plunged his electric hands into the shagohod it's like multi-stage matthew i guess like it's almost unfair, unfair to compare this to the other bosses in some ways but I think it's just a the whole package is really good as oh. like the here's your trad a Metal Gear villain outro sort of element. Yeah, right? that's the thing because the fight against him is a bit like the sort of mano a mano fights that you expect at the end of a Metal Gear Solid and that they tend mm. to do. But then yeah, it scales up into like what what was I I don't you know I don't really remember this from back then, but like must have been amazing to see this happening on a PS2. Like it's it's still impressive now. Mm as an actual action set piece like the the shagahod is like tearing this base up and like knocking tanks out the way like it's a huge thing and it's it's like amazingly choreographed that chase really exciting you cover like loads and loads of um ground in it as well like goes all over the shop like that's one music 
The music yeah. is fucking amazing. Yeah. Oh, it's great. It's like one of the big action, like most satisfying action kind of conclusions to a thing. Um, yeah. It's oh, it's brilliant. This is this is really really up there um, for just like pure spectacle. It's yeah, great that it has this big big action beat, which is like unlike anything else in it, really. Yeah, it, it really is, and uh, you know, it's it's yeah, just the the level of drama it sort of creates. It just feels like a kind of big finale. I think it's underrated the fact that really rad turret sequences are quite a key part of Metal Gear Solid's DNA. Right. <laughs> there's there's one in one. There's loads of them in four, and there re- there's a really good one in four where I think you're in the bike with Eva. Um, in four and then there's you just shoot there's like military dudes after you but there's also like the those metal gear women have those like flying things flying robots over the over the city it's a it's Mm. in prague i think that's just some really really good chase stuff in there and i think that yeah maybe it's one of the reasons mgs2 is not uh not as well regarded because it doesn't have a sequence like that but this is this is the best one of those sequences the way the shagohod moves and Mm. just like yeah just it's it's like it's cinematic but it's interactive as well you can feel that you know because you can shoot loads of dudes and then eva congratulates you when you like take a guy out or whatever and yeah it's fucking great so there's like in terms of the actual mechanics of the fight i probably would put this number two but there's a reason that the last one has to go at like in that in that top two right yeah i so the last one which is you fighting the boss is like narratively and framing wise like one of the all-time greats yeah i'd say the actual fight itself is is good it isn't like I, i don't think the actual fight itself is amazing I don't think it's very good. <laughs> okay, well that's good. Oh, that was me being pol- that was me being polite. <laughs> no, it's quite messy. Um, because when you can actually hit her, it's mostly a case of you counter her physical attack. She's on the ground, and then while she's lying on the ground, you just have to shoot her while she's lying there, which right. feels not very sportsmanlike, I guess. Um, <laughs> and the challenge almost becomes: can you find her her white outfit in this like field of white flowers um yeah and so and then sometimes you can just sort of hit her while she's moving around if you can catch her before she catches up with you it's not that interesting yeah. but i'm not that is not me saying this is a bad boss fight because i agree the framing it's like it almost gives it it powers it up by 150 percent as a yeah. composition right it's just like one it's like it's it's part of the canon of video games this but boss then fight. that's 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 almost it right is that is like it doesn't it doesn't have to be like the, the it doesn't exist to be like a big challenging boss fight it exists to be this like moment of catharsis and as it turns out the outcome to it is kind of sort of you know preordained for various reasons um you know you're not it's it's not meant to be a challenge you know it's it's just it's meant to be this sort of sad moment it's just it's just a little odd that like throughout the game you keep meeting the boss and you never fight you know you fight her in cutscenes, and there is this idea of like oh i would really love to see the like the, the the master and student properly go at it and that is the pitch of the fight a little bit and it kind of doesn't really deliver on that in terms of like, holy shit, I've never seen anything like this before, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's... That's, but that's that's the only downer. That's like the downer to it. But then, you know, it, it, it ends so sort of poetically and like the kind of interactive cutscene element of it is, is, is really, really well done. Like the final action you have to do is so poignant. Um, yeah, you can't really knock it. 
It's a weird one. <laughs> yeah, you just press that one button. That's kind of what the whole fight is about, that one button press, yeah. right, basically. It's like, they, it wouldn't make sense to just have a cutscene and get you to that point. You have to, you do have to fight the boss to yeah. earn that moment. Um, so, yeah, but I, yeah, I think that's what puts it above the, yeah, Volgin and the Shago Hard. It's like, I do prefer the spectacle and the actual interactions in that fight, for sure. Um, do you think it, I do think it's cool, though, that she can disarm you and chuck your weapon away. That's like the coolest thing that she does in the battle, for sure. Um, and you do get a real sense of her physical strength as well, like the prowess you see in the cutscenes. You get to you experience it firsthand when she's just absolutely kicking your ass. So, yeah, mm. th- there are things to like about it, but I just don't think mechanically it's it's all that, really. Um, mm. All of these all of these bosses actually have a sh- strange thing where they have, like, these invincibility windows and it's about sussing out when those are as a player. Like, when will Volgan be immune to these bullets? And when will the boss be immune to these bullets or the fury or whatever? It's That's, like, part of it. It's like, when they're running away, can I actually damage them? That's, like an unanswered question you have to figure out as a player when you're playing these but mm-hmm. the bosses the bosses may be the area where you ask it the most because you're never quite sure exactly what's hitting or what the criteria is so uh, yeah interesting an interesting one but it gets to gets to number two anyway matthew because of that i think so mm. cool so we're agreed then um in which case we have our order matthew so shall i count them down yeah let's do it uh, the fear is uh, at the bottom there. Um, then, like below that, we've got the ocelot fight. Below that, we've got the pain. Below that, we've got the fury. Below that, we've got the sorrow. Below that, we've got Volgin slash the Shagohod. They get to number two, and it's the boss. Number one is the end. What a fucking video game, Matthew. What a fucking great, great video game. That and is. I'm, I'm genuinely looking forward to replaying this when they remake it. <laughs> yeah, same. Oh, it's been fun. We should do more of these uh, two giant men replay pods. Yeah, that'd be, uh, that'd be they fun. require a lot of work. I kept, this is why <laughs> this is why we, we've often said because we really like the Rewatchables podcast where they talk about a film and we're like we should do that for games. But then you're like, the thing is, it takes two hours to rewatch a film, <laughs> and it's like a huge commitment to replay an old game when there's so many new games to be played as well. So. Yeah, tough, if we were full-time it... podcasters, it's something we could do. But oh yeah, yeah. but yeah. alas, no, it's fun. I've been, I've really enjoyed doing this one. Yeah, absolutely. The good thing is about about this era of games as well is that they used to make games that were under twenty hours long, and that was yeah. good. Um, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you so much for listening to this podcast, Matthew. Where can people find you on social media? At Mr. Basil underscore Pesto. If you'd like to support the podcast financially. Uh, you can support us at patreon.com slash backpagepod and unlock two additional podcasts a month, one about video games, one about pop culture. I can't remember what the video games one is next month, Matthew, but we've got the Mission Impossible movies ranked coming up from the XXL. It's going to be a fun one. Um, and we just did that uh, the Indiana Jones episode, as mentioned. People seem to really enjoy that one. That was cool, seeing the response to that. Mm. Uh, so yes, otherwise you can uh, find the podcast on Facebook and Twitter at backpagepod. And then I'm Samuel W. Roberts, backpagegames at gmail.com if you'd like to email us. You can also leave a review on the platform of your choice. That's us done, Matthew. Let's get out of here. Let's do it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.